0: Hey, it's Ryan. Could you stop what you're doing right now and subscribe to a Minor Detail podcast? Visit iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, or virtually any available podcast directory to find a Minor Detail podcast and click subscribe. Welcome to a minor detail podcast. My name is Ryan minor. I am your host. I report on Maryland political news at a minor We're a small scrappy upstart multimedia outlet in Maryland. We're ferociously fair and painstakingly independent. This year, a minor detail in its podcast turns five years old. This isn't your typical boring political podcast. We keep it fresh. We talk about the trending news in Maryland politics. We keep politicians honest, and we try to make sense of the news. We don't bullshit you on this podcast. You'll get the news straight up, no chaser. This is episode 271. This is Maryland's primary election night. A Minor Detail podcast hosted a guest panel, and we have quite the cast of characters. It was a motley crew. This show was really fun, even if it was a bit long. Here's the show. Since it's already 8 o'clock, voting in the state of Maryland has officially ceased, um, unless anybody has uh, some provisional ballots to to tend to. My name is Ryan Miner. Uh, you can find me on the web at aminordetail.com. Tonight, I have assembled some of uh, some, some dear friends of mine and, and some of Maryland's political experts from all over the state. I feel like we're on the Brady Bunch here. Uh, <laughs> you know, in the last three months, I've done more Zoom meetings than you can possibly imagine. And honestly, I'd say beginning March 1st, I admittedly am ashamed to to say I had no idea what Zoom was. I think I've heard about it a couple of times but until it came to uh to be like this phenomena, this breakout during d- during COVID-19, I started using it for work. I started using it for the podcast. I was like, "Wow, I, this this works. I just need a live streaming function and and then I was able to to do some cool stuff with it. But I want to just briefly Touch on our panelists tonight. I think we're going to have more people come in and out, and I know that our our faithful co-host Lynn Foxwell is supposed to be popping in, but I think he's with Natasha right now. Richard, is that right? Uh,
1: I I think he's doing. uh, He's reading the results along with her and Mark McLaren to my current knowledge.
0: And Mark McLaren is is scheduled to come on as well to give his expert opinion.
1: Oh, and I yeah, uh, (laughs) I can't wait for it.
0: Well, I'll tell you. I said I sent him the invitation, and I said, "Look, there is no political panel on election night with that could happen without Mark McLaurin. It's not possible
2: <laughs> for the
1: commentary of nothing else. That, yes, yeah. yeah. Talk about more colorful
0: <laughs> talk,
2: with Mark Graham.
0: Talk about a guy who is." Uh, Unafraid to get the raw side of Maryland <laughs> politics. That's important these days. We need honest people, honest brokers. And one of the honest brokers who's on the panel tonight, Jarrett, an unapologetic progressive down on the Eastern Shore, the lower shore progressive. Jared, how do you say your last name? Because I don't want to butcher it.
3: How do uh, did you ask how you uh, how do you say it?
0: Yes, how do you pronounce it correctly? Uh,
3: shab Shabline. Okay. Like okay. No. Uh, uh, Ryan, if I could just have a second, I want to thank you for having me on this panel, giving Eastern Shore representation tonight. Thank you, Ryan.
0: Yeah, we we love the Eastern Shore, and I wasn't—I was just there—well, I was technically on the midshore on Saturday. My wife and I said, we have to get out of the house, so we drove to mm-hmm. Oxford for a, a Saturday evening dinner out down at the Robert Morris Inn. It was the perfect weather, and I just told her, I said, look, we have to get out of this house. I'm going stir-crazy. And then in the right corner, I have Brooks Shandelmeyer. And Brooks is from Annapolis. He's, I believe, you're still on the Anne Arundel County Democratic Central Committee.
4: That is right. Um, I am part of the Anne Arundel County Democratic Central Committee. I am, until uh, the end of this month, the president of the District 30 Democratic Club. And, um,. Just doer of all things, left to center in Anne Arundel County area, uh, former president of the Young Dems. So I've been I've been all around the county.
0: Brooks's wonderful fiance and I have a strong mutual connection in Hagerstown, Maryland. Uh, Chelsea, who's his fiance, uh, she and I are both from Hagerstown. She and I went to um, rival schools. I went to Williamsport and she went to South Hagerstown High School. And wherever Chelsea is, um, give her my best Brooks, please.
4: I certainly will. I think she's coming around the corner now. Oh,
0: good. Good.
5: I heard my name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: was saying that we had a mutual connection of Hagerstown, Maryland, you know, our hometown. Um, so, hey, Chelsea, how are you?
5: Absolutely. Hey, I was just telling somebody that today
4: um, when we we walked over to the pitt Rec Center in Annapolis and we were talking to to some local folks who are running for position or for political positions here so nice tell them about your show oh
0: man well hopefully they didn't throw any eggs at you <laughs> they're like well maybe oh. <laughs> So we got the Anna Ra- and by the way a big congratulations to Chelsea who just graduated from um your your masters right mm-hmm. yeah yeah congratulations. Yeah.
4: Thank
0: you so much. You too. Oh well, that MBA. It takes. Let me let just. I'll just say that after I finish that, uh, you have so much more free time than you think of, and you're like, "Well, what can I do?" Especially
4: during a during a pandemic, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's
0: right. Well, Chelsea, I hope you can stick around, or at least kind of pop in and 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 out. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Scott, you want to introduce yourself in the sure. left corner?
6: Uh, Scott of Scotty's blog in Howard County, Maryland. Uh, following uh. Primarily Howard County politics, news, information. Um, But, you know, I venture into some of the state stuff from time to time, uh, particularly when it crosses into Howard County or just when I have an interest in it. So Scotty's blog is my blog.
0: And what's the website?
6: Uh, www.scottthelettereblog.com.
0: And Scott is an expert at covering some of this really nuanced local uh, political Common, if not, not only political races, but you, I have relied on you, Scott, to really find out what's going on with Howard County politics and the Howard County Board of Education. Two big, key, marquee, um, uh, I, I'd say, especially the Howard County Board of Education, a lot of stuff going on with the, the boundary analysis. I'm, I'm learning a lot from you, and uh, you're just an excellent resource. Eric Beasley, who's one of the co-editors of A Minor Detail. Eric and I met five years ago when he was still on Team Bongino. (laughs) Had to throw that out there, Eric. Yeah,
7: yeah, of course you had to. By the way, that's where we met as well, Ryan. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's right. Scott and – yeah, that's exactly right.
7: That's where I met Scott too. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Mr. Bongino is not doing a – he's actually probably standing at St. John's Episcopal tonight with a microphone ready to interview the president at some time. So –
7: Yeah, so I I guess my brief intro is that uh, um, I'm probably the only leftover registered Republican on this panel, Um, (laughs) and and, uh, um, I'm in the middle of of an ongoing uh, deep investigation into some uh, serious issues in Frederick County related to the judicial system and the school system.
0: Yeah, Eric broke a huge story on a minor detail that was probably our top, I I have to say, of the entire year, um, our, our, our... Num- the number of unique hits, thousands and thousands of people visited the site over the last week because of Eric's story. He'll get into that in a bit. And I want to move to Eric's right, um, but certainly not to his political right, uh, <laughs> to go ahead and introduce yourself, Ms. Carter.
2: Uh, hi. Nope. I'm an activist here, Ireland, um, Former, the founder and former director of Maryland Working Families. I now have a um, leadership training. I now run a leadership training organization called Step Up Maryland that um, is about um, training uh, progressive leaders and making elected leaders like this crop that we're about to have, uh, making them into better, uh, more responsive and more engaged um, citizen leaders.
0: I'm glad you're here. You are such a defining and important voice in and Maryland politics. I've followed you. You have, you've, you've always provided such astute commentary and all of you have learned something from. And so I, uh, as someone who is following the news closely, I rely on you all to educate and inform me. And Richard DeShay Elliott, who needs no introduction to the state of Maryland. And I mean, this, this is one of the biggest rising stars in state politics. Um, and I look for one day for him to be in elected office himself. <laughs> I mean that. So, Richard, go ahead and introduce yourself, although you don't need one.
1: All right. Hi, I'm Richard, a graduate student at Johns Hopkins University in political science. Uh, I'm currently the campaign chairman and treasurer of Logan Endow, who, if the things go well, will be uh, shown to be the winner if the results come in tonight. I uh, worked a lot on the Ben Jealous campaign, Joe Carter for Congress campaign, and a bunch of others. And the thing I'm happiest to provide is I have vote predictions that I put in the Zoom chat for basically all of the races in Baltimore City, excluding the 7th, the 6th through ninth councilmanic districts, the 6th, 8th, and ninth uh, incumbents are going to win easily, and for District 7, anything could happen, so I didn't want to make a guess.
0: Well, I want to talk about that in just a moment, but I think the best place to start tonight's show and for anybody tuning in on Facebook, this is a minor detail podcast election night primary, primary night panel and it's a far cry from 2 years ago on I believe it was June 28th when Lynn Foxwell and I were in Wet City in Baltimore City and as the election returns were streaming in Every time a new election result streamed in, I think Lynn had another beer. So by the time it was <laughs> over, and this was a big night, because you will remember two years ago on election night, this is when the entire Maryland political establishment crumbled at the heels of upstart progressives. We're talking about Corey McRae winning a primary in district, in Senate District 45. We're talking about, who was it, Joan Carter Conway? Uh, yeah,
1: Mary Washington beat her, one of the most powerful senators in Maryland history. And and Mary Washington beat her with a grassroots insurgent campaign.
0: It was the same night that that the number two in the in the the Maryland State Senate lost his primary, Mac Middleton
4: mm-hmm. right.
0: in Southern Maryland. And, you know, I was warned about that about about two weeks out. And I was standing at a polling location in Montgomery County in Potomac and District 15 State Senator Brian Feldman came up to me and put his arm around me and said, I have a little news for you. I have – and 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 he explained to me what was happening with Mac Middleton's race. I looked at him and I said, I, I, I love you. I think you're great. I just don't believe you. I said, I, I don't think that's going to happen. And he said, you wait. And sure enough, election night 2018, it was uh, – that was a shock. I think that was one of the biggest shocks of, of the evening, but maybe not necessarily a shock because – I wasn't paying attention like uh, certain people were. Um, so I, I think the easiest place to start tonight um, in, in my brain processes information in, in a geographic way. And I'm thinking we'll start with the congressional districts. And I'm looking. Uh, why don't we go ahead? And so we'll go one to eight. And please, by all means, jump in and. I'm thinking that in the in the first congressional district, I've had the th- I've had three Democrats on. There's three Democrats running: Allison Galbraith, a former Democratic candidate in um, Maryland's second vice president, uh, the the Maryland Democratic Party's second vice chairwoman. She dropped out of the race, and then that left Mia Mason, and then it also left um, Jennifer Pingley, who was on the show last night with Allison. Allison is endorsing Jennifer's campaign. Jared, is it too little, too late?
3: Uh, Well, it doesn't hurt, but I can't imagine a lot of the rural districts out here where internet connection isn't so great uh, that they saw it. Uh, My prediction is I think Allison is going to win the primary and then the central committees are going to be deciding who will be the nominee going up against Andy Harris. Um, as a progressive chair, we endorsed Mia Mason. Uh, we feel like she has the best chance of beating Mr. Harris and has the best uh, platform moving forward. But Jennifer is a fantastic candidate, also progressive. Uh, our organization really had a tough time because we had two great progressive women running against a radical congressman who often promotes white nationalist. Uh, And other extremist politicians. So we are very fortunate in this year's Democratic primary, and I'm excited to uh, work for whoever gets the nominee. And I know our organization is as well. So my prediction is Allison's going to win on name recognition and then the real fun begins here in District one. that's your next story
7: here just as a question um do i have to try to defend the republicans or like (laughs) is is that why you brought me here um i mean i can defend them i'm just you know like oh
0: you don't have to be that foil eric
7: okay i just i i I wasn't sure what my role here was um because i could i you know i could talk about how every incumbent should be removed and we should just abolish the government
6: like that'd be more
7: accurate but uh um...
6: um before we go on did you see the uh Maryland State Board of Elections statement on releasing election results that they just put out?
0: I am looking at the Maryland Ooh.
6: State. So um, they released something that says, due to voter turnout, some vote centers may remain open beyond 8 p.m. to allow those voters who are in line by 8 p.m., da-da-da-da-da. As a result, the State Board of Elections will only release results of those local elections and counties where all the vote centers have closed. Uh, the results should be posted by... 8 p.m. It's past 8 p.m., so they're behind on that.
7: Wait, yo, let
6: me guess. It's Baltimore and Montgomery County, right? Probably. Oh. These they, results will include, Jesus. but these results will include mail-in ballots counted through last night.
0: It's going to be one obscure precinct over in Gaithersburg, which will be <laughs> right down the street from me that'll hold the entire state up, and then I'll, the mayor, who lives literally two, two doors away from me, is going to have to walk down and then just make it rain. That's how election politics work, and Eric Beasley, who is no stranger, of course, to weird politics, um, especially in Frederick County.
7: yo, people here are crazy. Yes,
0: <laughs> yes, they are. Um, so, Jarrett, uh, just to wrap up that thought, um, it looks like it looks like that this race flew it. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I am guessing, and I hate to say this, that it's going to be very tough for a for a Democrat to. To take Andy Harris, especially this year, and this was a carved-out district for a Republican. Andy Harris, um, he he uh, he may he may in fact call me up later tonight and and say some unkind curse words to me as he has done in the last few days to Republicans and Democrats apparently. Um, but it doesn't look. I mean, Andy Harris. By the way, I want to mention he has a challenger. And a guy by the name of Jorge Delgado, who is actually interestingly enough, ran to Andy's right, but ran on basically an anti-incumbent, uh, very conservative platform. So, uh, and, and Mia Mason, who told me that she may actually join us here in a bit, and that would be just fine. Love to have her again, Brooks. Um, in the third, you're in the third congressional district, right?
4: I am. Uh, I I think that is going to be a John Sarbanes very, very easily. Does <laughs> he have an opponent, Chelsea?
5: Does, yeah, he does.
0: I, I don't even know who I, it is, and I'm ashamed of myself for not knowing it's
1: that. It's uh, Joe Ardito
4: and John Rhea. Hmm. John Rhea is a, um, a perennial candidate whose biggest opposition to Congressman Sarbanes has been his lack of support for the Iraq war. Uh, which, I it doesn't get anywhere in a Democratic Party in a Democratic primary these days. Um, I I think John Sarbanes is going to easily cruise to this uh, race 90%. for reelection.
0: Ninety percent.
4: Oh yeah, uh, it's it's District Three is going to be real boring.
0: <laughs> that's okay, that's okay. I, boring is sometimes good, and of course District Four, uh, Anthony Brown is facing. Two opponents, Sheila Bryant and Kim Shelton, Anthony Brown, former Maryland lieutenant governor, who then made a he made a rousing comeback back in 2016. Or was it 18 or 16? I think it was 16, 16 when he was elected to Congress and then, of course, reelected. It was funny. I saw Anthony Brown up in New Hampshire uh, when I was there in February covering the presidential elections. He was on the stump for Mayor Pete. So I know that was Richard's favorite candidate in this race.
1: (laughs) I like that Anthony Brown came out in favor for Pete because uh, that's very much an Anthony Brown thing to do. I believe Anthony Brown is going to be running for governor in 2022. And tonight's results with him running against Sheila Bryant, a progressive who I helped put her campaign together. She's going to get 30 plus percent just because she's not Anthony Brown, just because of that. And that does not bode well for Anthony Brown's uh, possibility of winning a, a governor's race, in my opinion. Well, I'm I don't think I don't think Sheila is going to win, but she's going to put enough of a dent in Anthony Brown that his statewide credibility should be questioned, in my opinion.
7: Wait, does Anthony Brown have any statewide credibility? <laughs> <laughs> Never said he had any. <laughs> OK, I I just... mean,
1: uh, uh to, like uh, Ryan said, he had a rousing comeback. He beat Glenn Ivey, the former Prince George's state's Attorney, in the 2016 primary by two or three percent. Yeah, something like that. Like for a lieutenant governor to narrowly win a congressional primary, that's that's pretty bad.
0: But the but yeah. the Ivy name is uh, has been long established in especially in that fourth congressional district and. Yep. Glenn Ivey at the time would have made a fantastic congressman.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: He still would. Let's talk about the 5th Congressional District. And by the way, in the 4th and the 4th Congressional District, whoever is going to win the Republican nomination will ultimately falter to the Democrat. Uh, and I, uh, we'll just call it here on election night. Um, the 5th. The I figure we just better go ahead and put that one out there. <laughs> the 5th Congressional District has an interesting race. Steny Hoyer, number two in the 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 U.S. House of Representatives, to he's the majority leader, to uh, Michaela Wilkes. And now, Brianna Ur, Urbina, she had essentially dropped out. Is that correct?
1: Yes. F, um, uh, full disclosure, I originally was with the Urbina campaign, but then eventually went to Wilkes and was calling for Urbina to drop out. Urbina dropped out, but actively refused to remove her name from the ballot after campaigning for a couple months. Uh, I do think that Michaela is going to have a very strong showing, particularly because there are a lot of new coming voters, people who have not voted in the past few primaries, who were able to vote due to uh, mail, vote by mail. So I think Michaela Michaela has a shot to beat Steny Hoyer tonight, in my opinion. You, is it likely? 100%. No, but I believe it's. I believe it is possible. And right. her her campaign. I'm in their Slack. They made they made hundreds of thousands of calls in the past few days. They made like thirty thousand phone calls yesterday. They yeah. made like twenty five thousand the day before that. Right,
7: look. Like, hands down, and, and you skipped over this topic, and it's something that we need to keep in mind. The entire dynamics of an election uh-huh. happening during a lockdown is yeah. very different. When yeah. because So, for example, especially in, in, in like a progressive or a libertarian circle, you don't have focused volunteers in the state of Maryland, but you do have national mm-hmm. support for those candidates. So, like, Richard, I bet a lot of those phone calls were performed by people outside of the state yeah. in mm-hmm. some, uh, you know, our revolution, whatever organization it may have been. And because you've basically, with a quarantine, we've kneecapped the main, the primary two-party system, which is based on you know um, uh, knocking on doors, uh, direct voter contact, mm-hmm. and it's turned into online and phone yep. calls which is, of course, where an insurgent candidate is going to be much stronger because they draw that national mm-hmm. support. So if there is an election in which you're going to see anybody oh. from either extreme winning a primary,
3: it's this one. Mm-hmm. And it's oh, not even to add to ahead. your point. It's not even outside the state. I mean, we were making calls and texting. I was texting for her just a couple of days for her here on the eastern shore. Even I, I agree with Richard. I think she's going to have a strong showing. And if tonight's not the night, which I hope it is, I definitely hope uh to see her run in the future, because we are still going through a very big demographic shift in this country. Uh, 2024 is going to look a lot different demographics-wise, both racial, ethnically, as well as age. Uh, I would definitely hope to see her continue to stay active. Um, And I think you'll start seeing the progressive and the libertarian wings of the party become the moderate wings of the party moving forward.
0: So I think that's an excellent point. And just to highlight that Michaela Wilkes has run one of the best grassroots campaigns of this election cycle. I have seen her tap into social media and new media in a way that other candidates haven't. Steny Hoyer has been a ghost. He has been a ghost in this election. And it's nothing against Steny Hoyer, but could you imagine in the 5th Congressional District if a young upstart progressive woman takes on the number two? That would be akin to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez it, it, taking out so So be bigger. So Big, I, no, no, yeah.
7: no. no you're, you, this would be like uh, Dave Bratt unseating Eric Cantor yeah. in Virginia.
0: That's a great I'd comparison. Mm-hmm.
4: I gotta say probably an unpopular opinion on this panel. I actually think the pandemic's gonna help Steny Hoyer. I think it's gonna help him cruise to it. Um, the biggest way to actually get these new voters to dump a incumbent, who's actually relatively popular in this district, is through direct contact with doors. Phone calls aren't as effective. Social media is not as effective for turning out votes. I mean, we're all campaign professionals. We know that that face-to-face contact. And so I think that name recognition and the work that Steny Hoyer's done throughout all that time, and the fact that you can no longer go out and talk to voters one-on-one will cause Hoyer to just pretty easily coast. Um, I I don't know, I I don't have a percentage amount in my Mm. mind, but I'm pretty confident Steny's going to take it pretty easily. I
1: I will say, like with concrete evidence, uh, Michaela has made Steny spend more money and direct more attention to voter contact than any other primary he's ever had since he was first elected to Congress. Steny did a big media buy. I think it was last weekend. He did he did like five or six different rounds of mailers. So while it's going to be difficult for Michaela to beat Steny, she has done more of a gut punch to him than the past four or excuse me, 39 years of primaries have ever done to him.
0: I want to move on briefly to some local elections, but first let's talk about uh, Chelsea's favorite candidate in this race, and that is Delegate Neil Parrott.
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> che- Listen, God. Chelsea and I can we can we can really joke about this because look, we grew up there, we know we know Washington County inside and out, for for better or for worse, and in the sixth congressional district, Delegate Neil Parrott is. Uh, running against two other Republicans in a district that is currently held by Congressman David Trone. And David Trone is, uh, look, he had one opponent, Maxwell Barrow, in the 6th District, who is a 29-year-old teacher from, I think, Clarksburg. And uh, he, Maxwell Barrow ran a a nice campaign, a good campaign, but it, it was Undercovered, there was not a whole lot of action, and it looks like that. Uh, it really does appear that David Trone is going to be poised for uh, for oh, returning to well,
7: speaking of Washington County. The first results from Washington County, I saw are that,
0: I saw that. Um, we're going to so have a new mayor soon.
7: Yeah, uh, it looks like Emily Ooh. Keller is at 52% of the vote. Um, yes. followed by Michael Barnes at 32% and Andy Overton at 15%. Uh looks like uh, it's about 3,200 votes total. Yeah. Cast.
0: So it'll be, it It looks like that if these vote totals hold that Emily Keller will likely be the next mayor, Chelsea and I know Emily and in full mm-hmm. disclosure, Emily Keller is a dear, dear friend to all of to us and uh, just a truly lovely person with a really bright political future ahead of her. So, um well, as well, a, it,
7: since she won, does that mean that she's going to get another card at a raffle?
0: Oh
8: jeez. Like. Oh, <laughs> she, she
0: would laugh at that by the way. And then she would she would laugh at that because you know, the the the, Demo- the Republican Central Committee up there are a bunch of yahoo's. Um so, looking at the city of Hagerstown and if anybody cares, Chelsea and I do, because we know these people. Looks like Christian Alshire, who was a former county commissioner, he looks like he is leading with 13.9% of the vote. And it looks like looks like Bob Brucci might get a seat on the... Uh, wow.
4: The, yeah. the
0: current <laughs> mayor of Hagerstown decided not to run, because if he did, then he would have faced some serious, serious pushback from a lot of people. So what does he do instead? He stays in office and drops back to the council where he says he'll have a vote. So I'm just looking at some of these results. We don't know how any of this is going to go down yet, but these are some early returns. Um, Okay, what about the 7th Congressional District? And by the way, I'm going to say that Neil Parrott wins tonight in the uh, the 6th (coughs) District.
7: Oh, of of course. So obviously I know a lot about the Sixth District. Um in the primary, Washington County is a bulk of the voters. And so any candidate that comes o- that comes out of Washington County is gonna get a bulk of the vote. Um simple as that. Kevin Caldwell's a nobody and I've never even heard of the other guy. So
0: But yeah. okay. Uh the seventh congressional district, um, I think we actually missed the second, right? Dutch rupersberger So is anybody putting money on Michael Feldman to pull out a surprise victory tonight? <laughs>
4: Richard What I'm curious on on the Republican side of that race is how well does Tim Fazenbaker do? Um, Mr. Fazenbaker has fully embraced a very Trumpy, I'm just going to go ahead and call fascist uh, part of that Republican electorate. But he's kind of seems more interested in trying to do a bunch of uh, interviews of conservative YouTube host channels than actually running. So I want to see if he's able to get through a Republican primary with that. And maybe we set the standard for at least until there's a redistricting reform put through Maryland for how Republican candidates outside the eastern shore and western Maryland campaign um, or does people who have actually knocked doors and end up getting through. Yeah. Charlie, I want to hear your thoughts
0: on the seventh congressional district. Does does the special election winner. The current congressman Kwaeze and Fume, the former NAACP chief, does he does he make a comeback again and go on to the general election, or is he taken out by a Maya Rockamore Cummings or a Jill P. Carter tonight?
2: I think Mfume uh, pulls it out again. I mean, um, mostly because. that. um, And now, you know, with, with turnout increased, I think, you know, his base who are older, um, I think that he's going to pull it out.
6: Yeah. I, I have to agree. I mean, I saw his supporters at the Bain center in Columbia today um, and I I can't see him losing the uh, primary this time around. I even talked to one of the coming supporters and, um, you know, not no one working on the campaign, but just a supporter. And they were like, I mean, the odds are be- of beating him after he just won the special ele- election is slim and none. Well,
0: I know that Maya Rockham were coming. She did run an aggressive campaign. I will give her a tremendous credit for stepping up and running what I thought was a productive campaign. She held many of these Zoom forums throughout this pandemic. And I would tune in. And I think she really did try to. Uh, to run an aggressive campaign, she certainly had some money as well, but right. the the political dynamics are clear. It's difficult to 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 accomplish that, especially after winning the congressional uh, special election and when you're sworn into Congress. It, it would just it would seem logical that uh, the former congressman would then again return to Congress and uh, the next year and be on the general election ballot. As far as the Republicans, um, my money is on Ray Bly to pull this one.
7: Yo, no, I was just going to say that. Dude, the, this is the Maryland version of Joe Exotic, okay?
0: Now, I, does anybody think that uh, when Kimberly Classic ultimate – it probably will be Kimberly Classic who wins the – uh, the general – or not, or rather the, the – to be on the general election ballot wins the primary tonight. But it seems like Ms. Klasek is not Man. running a serious campaign, but rather eyeing a – whatever that obscure news network is that is more right-wing than Fox. Um,
7: it looks own, like she, mean, Own network, One yeah, American one, News. One Ameri- yeah, that, yeah. Th- those guys are hilarious.
0: I don't watch because I need less stress in my life, so – I, I, but it does appear that Ms. Klesik is seriously eyeing some sort of media gig, given her obsequiousness towards the president of the United States. Um, and it just seems like that she's been pretty much tone deaf in this entire process. And and as I said to to others uh, in this race, like our Eric, our mutual friend, Brandon Cooper, who's uh, a, a young, dynamic, smart African-American Republican, and I I think that— And he's like six foot eight. Yeah, he is. He's like six foot eight. But Ms. Klesik has—she has an opportunity to use her voice, especially in such a a time of tumult in our country, and I feel like that she's only been using it to further ingratiate herself to President Trump, and it's just—it's difficult to understand.
7: Well, that's honestly, look at the, the track history of this um, failed Republican congressional candidates. What do they end up? They end up on the media. Um, <laughs> like, let's be honest here. And obviously, what gets ratings in the media is essentially shock jocks. How do you think Howard Stern's been on the air for, what, 30 years? Um, you know, whether you agree with him or not, he's still on the air. Like, And that's probably what uh, Kim Klasik is angling for. Like a lot of other people, a lot of other candidates, not just Bongino, have
3: gone that route as well. <laughs> um well eric is that an odd approach to take it seems like the majority of the gop it's either cozy up to trump or lose your funding and get pushed out um yeah it seems like the gop at least here in my experiences here on the eastern shore have embraced the extreme of the extreme
7: oh absolutely absolutely they have um and you know we i mean look realistically, we could argue forever about which is more extreme, you know, yada yada, whatever. But uh, absolutely, I'd say probably 80% of the Republican Party has embraced uh, Trump isms. And you have other people that, you know, leftover Republicans who, you know, are much more of like an Eisenhower type Republican, they all end up, uh, you know, re-registering as a Democrat just to screw with their primary or uh, not
6: voting.
0: Ah, oh, well, Ms. Classic has certainly a She's corraled a, a large social media following and on Twitter, but I just can't see a Republican winning the seventh congressional district, especially an election year that is poised to, I think, be favorable for for Democrats. And so now we move on to the eighth congressional district with Jamie Raskin, who is the incumbent. Uh, honestly, even though I live in Montgomery County, I. Uh, i'm looking at the state board of elections now i couldn't even tell you who any of these people are running against him uh notwithstanding shelly skulnick who i think ran four years ago but i I will just
7: right we know about utam paul he's the guy that dropped all those signs in the middle of the night and never picked them up
0: oh utam paul yeah sounds like a
7: cowboy he he actually he put a sign on a um a uh, the Rose family's house for some random reason
6: <laughs> Well,
7: back in uh, 2016, I believe.
0: Oh, I remember that. So now that we touched on the congressional elections, um, I'm interested, let's just skip back <clears> and <throat> forth here. And I want to go up to Anne Arundel County, uh, Brooks and Chelsea. The Anne Arundel County Judicial uh, Circuit Court race actually got some surprising, surprisingly, it got some ink this year from the media. And it looks like it's a race between four incumbent judges who were appointed by Governor Larry Hogan. And then it looks like the former state's attorney, Wes Adams, is running in that district. And then there's another out another attorney who's running Brooks and Chelsea. Do Hogan's judges get reelected and or does Wes Adams sneak in there?
4: I think there's always a possibility of Wes Adams, who has a countywide campaign, uh, a state campaign infrastructure from his time as the former state's attorney, could sneak through. But judicial elections are, again, notoriously boring. And I think actually with the ink going out against him for just all of the terrible career decisions that Wes Adams has made, he's going to lose because I know some people say no, pr- or there's no such thing as bad press. But when you have, during an era of um, heightened concern around uh, sexual harassment in the workplace and Wes Adams personally brought on someone who had groped a couple staffers, that's going to be bad on him.
7: Yeah. I love weighing get on judicial races now. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, a very important aspect on that race, especially, is that... Um, Wes Adams was elected as the state's attorney in Anne Arundel County, um, knocking off incumbent Ann um, Ann Coulter. Yes. Ann um, Coulter. No, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's her name. So one of the key um, uh, campaign issues at that time was there was actually there was an, um, an Air Force service member stationed at Fort Meade who had somebody break into his house, and the incumbent uh, state's attorney filed second degree murder charges against him. Okay. It was a very clear case. The door was broken into the, the man opened fire, killed the guy. That's how Ann Lytus was, was ejected. And Wes Adams was the one who had capitalized on that gross misuse of the power of the state attorney's office to assume that office in 20, I think it was 2014. Yeah. He won the, um, and so, you know, the, 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 yes, the incumbent judges like, um, you know, we had a, we had a, a, a judge elected um, over the incumbent in Scott Raleigh in twenty fourteen as well, and so prior to that, um, I know that the uh, um, Stuart Harvey in Frederick County looked to see the last time a judge, an incumbent judge, was unelected, and it, he went back to the 70s and couldn't find anything. So the likelihood is very minimal just because people are apathetic and don't take the time to learn how corrupt the judges they're voting for actually are. Um, but Wes Adams does have a history of, you know, of essentially overcoming an incumbent in a countywide race. And so if somebody has a chance of sneaking in, um, he's probably got a pretty good chance.
0: He was backed also by uh, minority leader Nick Kipke. And I believe he was also – the Maryland Republican Party put out a mailer defending him after Bruce Berriano, the, the famed lobbyist of Annapolis, uh, took to the, uh, the the Gazette and wrote a pretty tough op-ed aimed against him. So I'm, I'm going to be following that race closely And I just I want to bounce over to let's let's just bounce over to Baltimore City. And I want to I want to bring in Richard and Charlie about some a couple of the 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 races with council and mayor. So maybe now is a great time to talk about mayor. And by the way, if you're just tuning in now to a minor detail podcast, we are talking Maryland elections. (laughs) Tonight is the primary. Of course, mail in balloting occurred because of covid-19 and the governor made the decision that he wanted to limit in-person contact and maintain social distancing, and, of course, I know that um, Donald Trump is probably going to send all of his uh, people in to investigate massive voter fraud tonight because, of course, mail-in balloting can't work. Somebody could just steal out of a mailbox, but uh, no, I hope. I'm pretty confident that tonight will will go just fine. I know that there has been some issues with, with, with mail-in voting, but uh, fingers crossed. Richard, man, you have this race pegged. You have it down. Um, and then the Baltimore Sun now is saying that polls are closed. No election results yet on mayor. But, folks, could this be tonight, could this be the comeback of Sheila Dixon?
2: Carly, you can start. Well, I was just going to say the polls. Uh, some polls are closed, um, but they're at their at the voting sites. There's still hundreds of people in line. I'm getting reports that there are. Oh.
5: Yeah.
1: If that's the case, uh, we're not going to have the results for a while. I was in, in line.
2: People line. That's another two hours of waiting. Yeah. Um, so it's been the lines have been long all day. Um, mostly having, because, you know, there's so many issues with people getting their ballots. Also today, the board of elections, the local board of elections sent an email to people in the, uh, 12th, um, councilmanic district telling them that they had received ballots from the 14th councilmanic district. And if they had already sent the ballot in that they could not vote again or if they hadn't mailed their ballot in they could come and vote in person um it's just a, a great it's win.
1: weird that it's that district very interesting choice yeah. i i don't know if there's a that's the only district
2: office. we know about <laughs> but um you know there at some point we should do uh, you know there should be a real you know expose on you know the uh incompetence at the state board of elections um uh, in handling um the vote by mail yeah Um, but that said you know um i think it's interesting that a third of the votes that have come already been counted are brand are new first-time voters yeah that's huge
5: yeah Um,
2: and i think it means a really um i mean i think it's it's going to be good for people who aren't are are fresh faces and younger mm-hmm. folks. I think Brandon Scott, you know, oh. um, who was out yesterday at Baltimore uh, and was well-received by the young people, I think this really bodes well for him.
1: Mm-hmm. I think you're and, right. And that dynamic reflects in a lot of the predictions I've given. Uh, so for the open seats, which are districts 4, 10, 12, 13, and 14. 12 isn't open. <laughs> 12
2: is open.
1: <laughs> For a lot of those seats, uh, candidates which, who I align with, uh, more progressive, younger, grassroots campaigns, and especially people who were able to do outreach in means aside from just mail. For the male kingpons, mail kingpins, M-A-I-L kingpins, this is disastrous. Because all of the mail that they send is to super voters. Whereas, uh, for instance, with Logan's campaign, we've been on the phones for weeks talking with people who voted in 2008, who voted in the 2012 general, and people who, if all you targeted with was by either mail or by past door knocking, you never would have even talked to. So for a lot of these campaigns, the the victory will be as simple as that. Did you talk to non-traditional voters?
4: Yeah. For you, um, Baltimore, uh, Baltimore-focused guys, uh, Richard and, and Charlie, um, how how well do you think Mary Miller's going to do tonight? Um, I I saw she had a lot of uh, TV airtime on um, network TV at least, and some of it came down to Annapolis. And I know the head of her super PAC got caught saying that they were going to try and take advantage of the balkanized primary to just get white voters. Do you think that's going to end up working out for her or do you think that that's backfired when that mic leaked and she's just going to fizzle out
2: no i think she's oh. in it i think that it's going to be a very close race i think um, just based you know anecdotally the number uh, who have called me to ask about her and you know sort of seeking permission <laughs> almost i think really says that there are people who are looking at the field and saying, let's give this person a shot. Um, I think the pandemic definitely helps her campaign because people are thinking we're going to be in a recession, if not depression, and she knows how to manage money. Um, So I think that that's appealing to some people and, and other people are thinking they want a fresh start, but um, I think it'll be really interesting. I don't think that the people who voting for her, though, are first time voters. Yeah, uh, that number. Uh, I think it's a three way race right now.
0: Between between uh, Sheila Dixon, Mary Miller and Brandon Scott. Now, there's there's another political analyst that uh, have said that there is a shot. For Theroux Vignaraja, but
7: I cursed him out at the polls today.
0: Oh, OK. Well, <laughs> um, if the, if the <laughs> well, that needs
7: to happen to more politicians, by the way.
0: Yeah. Like, oh, there, look, there's Eugene Craig that is joining us. Um, oh. And. <laughs>
7: Now Eugene's the best dressed of all of us. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. I mean, Eric, how, how you does and I move on this totem pole every time someone new joins in.
0: Eugene Craig I, I is know. always like, the best dressed man.
7: I should just do a Spike Cohen and just take my shirt off. Like,
0: <laughs> What's up, Eugene? Are you muted? <laughs> are, you, are you there, Eugene? Hi. Hello.
5: Muted.
0: <laughs> I'm going to... Okay. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't get over how good he's dressed. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
7: Well, his microphone matches his jacket too.
0: I know that was a nice like. mic, but uh, Tharun Naraja, look, he he was he was he was doing really well. There was some polls that came out that in the beginning of this year, before COVID nineteen, that he was uh, he was poised for some maybe a good night this evening, but he had an incident that occurred in Baltimore City where he was stopped. And the incident, he was stopped by police, and I believe at around 1 or one thirty in the morning, he had a young woman with him, and he spoke to police a police officer in a way that didn't play out well in the press. He held several subsequent press conferences, but do you think that that moment, folks, was that a turning point for him? Did that Was that his moment that was make or break and that could have potentially broke his campaign?
1: Uh, I I think that if this primary had been April 28th rather than today, Theroux would have had a much a much better shot. But because of like the implosion of Jack Young, Jack Young is going to come in like fifth. Wow. And he's an incumbent. He's an incumbent mayor, has been in office since the 80s, and had a million dollars. And he's about to come in fifth. Theroux could have potentially won or placed pretty well if Jack hadn't exploded. Giving the avenue for Sheila Dixon to really amp up her speed again, uh, the Greenmount incident, especially because Theroux's voters are are mostly conservative white folks for the most part, <coughs> and him getting caught in that incident, I think, really hurt him. The only thing keeping him afloat was that he he had his own, he has his own news channel. Like you just talked about, Kim Klasick is going to get one America. Theroux is
2: already a Fox 45 talking head. <laughs> Yeah, I actually think that in this in this current environment, that him being the Fox um, candidate um, is is really a turnoff for for people who may have considered him.
0: Was it because the local Fox affiliate there? Is it a conservative outlet or is it that what was what stuck out for that media network for Thoreau What Was it ostensibly his tough on crime approach?
4: Yeah,
8: and, so, and he
1: yeah, he's been on it pretty much every day without contestation. Like he had a town hall that was supposed to have every mayor there, but Theroux was the only one who showed up. Right. And he's had pretty much sole coverage on that channel. I'd say at least yeah. at least since the pandemic started.
2: Right, and I think the incident on the incident on Greenmont just it brought back. Um, it brought to pe- voters' minds the video from a few years ago, um mm. where he was mm-hmm. <laughs> it was very esque. The the, um, the
0: hotel video where he was with the young woman.
2: Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: From Project Veritas. I remember that. And that was that was a tough one. Um
2: it brings legs to that story all over again. And I think that that's really what un, that what undid through.
0: Well, w- most fascinating to me in this race and I interviewed I interviewed Sheila Dixon and I know that she's gotten a lot of heat and criticism, but I see in her such a renewed sense of humility. And I asked her, I said, did you forgive yourself for the incident? And she said, you know, and she stopped and paused and she said, you know, I did, but she talked very transparently and openly about that. And I think that political redemption, people want to give second chances when you, you know, you can prove it. And whether that happens tonight, we don't know. We'll find out, I'm sure, uh, hopefully by the end of tonight, or if not tomorrow, but um, Sheila Dixon ran a surprisingly strong campaign.
2: Yeah-
1: and, and her campaign, I don't think, just maintained, but it grew strength during the pandemic. There, her donations, I think she's had the most donations of any campaign in this calendar year or at least since the pandemic. Uh, there's been they've actually they've adopted social media pretty well, and they've really capitalized off of the it, the disastrous collapse of Jack Young. Like you, you you could write a whole book about how Jack Young, could have easily ran this campaign and won but through bad statements through miserable use of money and through you could call it incompetence or bad leadership or bad luck in city hall imagine starting with your computers don't work and then ending with a pandemic wow. and getting slapped with incumbent on your ass as well it's not a it's not a good deal yeah
0: well jack young came in last year at a the most unusual time when Catherine Pugh was literally being indicted. She resigned. It was, it's was. it been a tough couple of years for Baltimore City. It's it, It's. a tough <clears> moment. <throat> and uh, I, I think that Jack Young, I. it just didn't seem like his heart was in it. I don't know. It didn't seem like his heart was in it this time.
1: No. Nope. I mean, even in the debates that he's had recently, he's, he, he's treated it almost trollishly of, Everything they're talking about, I'm already doing. And if I'm not, you know, if I don't seem like I'm campaigning, it's because I'm running the city. I think he would have been like for his camp, for his life story, going from a a a, tra- a garbage man at Hopkins to the mayor of a major American city. He should have just dropped out of the race, focused on COVID, saved that money, donated it to charities or whatever. But this is <laughs> you're going to come in fifth, maybe even sixth. For mayor, when you're the incumbent, when you got over eighty thousand votes last time, that is a terrible end to your public service career.
0: Uh, Jared, well, he
2: never had a real race, and I, I that's think true. That, that's, that's true. That's That that's the wake-up call for Jack Young. Is that you know once you get in uh, and in on the east side as a council member, he was there for for, for forever. Um, he's never had to run in a crowded field. Oh um against really competent um uh opponents and I think he's proven to just not be up to the to the challenge.
0: I just want to shift over to the Eastern Shore to Jared. You wrote in our Zoom chat that Mia Mason is leading with 14% and at, where are you I'm looking on the State Board of Elections is it there or is it somewhere else?
3: Mia So we are all we are all watching on Politico right now. Um, oh. I actually Mason messaged me a couple minutes ago, and Justin Butler, the great Eastern Shore organizer for the uh, for the Maryland Democratic Party, uh, they've been feeding me updates, and I've been watching it. Uh, so right as of right now, we're fourteen percent in forty five point five percent for Mia Mason, thirty eight point six for Allison Galbraith, and fifteen point nine for Jennifer Pingley. Uh, another race I'm actually interested in is uh, in District 2. There is a county council race um, that will actually decide the – it's the primary, but it will actually decide the overall partisan balance for the Wacomico Central Committee for uh, – Wacomico County Council for the next, uh, next couple of years, which is also another interesting race.
0: Well, if anybody is listening down your way, and I'm sure they are, I just want to tip my hat to Mayor Jake Day, who will soon be – uh deploying with the army national guard to africa i had jake on last week so uh godspeed to jake and i my prayers and thoughts are with him and uh, i know that uh, we're all rooting for him to to come back safely to us
3: yeah mayor day uh has been a great friend uh he was one of my first political uh politicians i had a chance to work for he's always been a good role model for me and a good friend to our organization we definitely uh have him and him and his family and our thoughts and prayers moving forward so we appreciate uh that you guys are also talking about his service and all the great work here uh on the western shore as well
0: eugene craig shifting over to national politics just for a moment i just want to ask you is tonight the night that steve king finally is retired by the people of
8: iowa I hope so. Um, I, I hope so. I think uh, they're supposed to be closed now as well. Um, I hope so, man. I, uh, Jesus, I hope so. Um, but you know, history says probably not. But you know, we can be very hopeful. Um, I, I can see a situation with Steve King that we've seen time and time again, where the candidate is trash and the members trash. But what happens is that, you know, their local folk just love them. And so, you know, um, they end up getting reelected, although they're trash. I mean, I, I equate them to the Empilaria, right? We, we got we got area here. You know, for some reason, you know, he's been trashed for decades. But for some reason, he gets elected, cycle in, cycle out. And I think it's similar to Steve King. Well, Eugene, to um,
4: give you a little bit of hope, um, I, my, fe- my day job is working a lot of federal political stuff as well, and the King race is one of the ones we've been asked to keep an eye on. I actually think King is going to be knocked off tonight. Um, in the case of Ben Valeria, he got on because he actually had some power and say in legislation, uh, but King's been booted from the Agricultural Committee. This is the first time that Iowa has not had anyone representing them on the Ag Committee, In goodness knows how long. And that's dragged him down a lot. And you combine that with the fact that the national Republicans now seem done with him. uh, I think it's going to carry on for a a bad night for Mr. King. Although, again, this is a weird year.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to say that that we are getting some breaking news in the state of Maryland (laughs) that Donald Trump has won the Republican nomination for the state of Maryland and he will go on to uh, likely lose the state, but he has won the Republican <laughs> nomination in the state of Maryland. So uh, that's that's a little bit of tidbit of news. And I want to yeah, ask. Uh,
8: I see politicals called it for Andy Harris as well, right? <laughs> <it's>, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, like called for Andy as well.
0: Well, I'm looking at Politico right now. And if you go to politicocom slash twenty twenty dash election. <laughs> um. I am actually holding out the second district for, uh, for Mike Feldman. My 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 bet is on young Mike Feldman making a a dashing victory with at least ten percent over Dutch Ruppersberger. So, but uh, I don't don't know. (laughs) Yes, I
3: don't know about that. Do have some uh, results from some local elections in uh, the Eastern Shore. The two Democrats won both seats in the Princess Anne Town Council election tonight. So, I want wow. to tip my hat, Democrats down in Somerset County, sweeping the election tonight.
0: Well, Jared, I can tell you from growing up in Western Maryland, and Eric and I covering a lot of the uh, obscure Western Maryland districts. Uh, <laughs> We like these little small town because that is where the real action happens, and Chelsea, of course, can attest to that. Because, look, when you're in Hagerstown, Maryland, one council, vi- one council vote could be the difference of between bringing art uh, in the form of a rock to, uh, <laughs> our the arts rock. <laughs>
7: the problem was it was the wrong kind of rock. I wanted to see Dwayne Johnson
8: oh <laughs> um call me man I would like I would have put you in with his rap
0: so let's shift over and this another interesting race that's occurring and this is on the Republican side uh, up in uh good old um Cecil County boy that's an interesting place Cecil County is a bizarre bizarre place and oh, tell me about it mm, and so they're having a race it looks like for county executive the incumbent Alan McCarthy is facing off against Danielle Hornberger. Daniel Hornberger is the wife to delegate Kevin Hornberger who represents mm-hmm. that Cecil County District. And according to a poll that was put out recently that was paid for by, we found out, Dirk Hare of the Maryland Republican Party, it appears <laughs> it it does appear that Danielle could be poised for victory over the incumbent, but who knows? We don't know because we haven't gotten any truly succinct polling, but It would be interesting because Danielle would become one of the uh, only female elected uh, county executives in in, in the state um, as far as the Republican side goes. So what do you guys think? Have you all been following that race? From
8: afar, from afar. Um, I think it's going to be interesting um, to see how strong his power of incumbency actually is. Um, I mean, from all intents, at least socially, it looks like she's run a robust campaign and, you know, does kind of help that her husband's, you know, her husband. Yes. And uh, there's a lot of goodwill built in there. What, uh, what i from the election is a lot of
3: frustration. And this is what I'm interested to see when it comes to outcome is there's a lot of frustration in Eastern Shore Republican parties towards Uh, Congressman Andy Harris, and he's, as you've covered, he's been meddling in this election quite a bit. i like to see how big of, uh, one, the frustration in Andy Harris is, and two, how will that frustration play into some of these down-ballot races where Harris likes to meddle.
0: No, he does like to meddle. Scott, I want to shift over to you. If you have been following state politics and you have been following Scott's blog, you will soon discover that the Board of Education race— is a unique and fascinating race Scott tell us about that and is that the race to watch tonight in Howard County
6: oh, no question uh Howard County is all about board of Education I mean we've got the the judge the one judges race um but it, it it's the four primaries for Howard County Board of Education and look we went through a very very difficult redistricting process here in Howard County um that you know caused a lot of tension in our community yeah and this election is going to be about um, redistricting or not redistricting, equity or not equity, neighborhood schools or not neighborhood schools, and Republican versus Democrats at the board of education level. And that's what these four races um, tonight are about. Or you know, tonight through the twelfth is when the last um, canvassing for ballots is. Um, but uh, yeah, there are two districts that are that are going to be. Um, that I think will drag out for a while. There's two districts that I think that'll be decided tonight. But you know, Montgomery's got kinda of, Montgomery County's going through this a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and and you're hearing the same type of rhetoric, the same type of language, the same type of stuff that, that we're hearing here in Howard County and, and and have since you know November when the redistricting process went down. And so, yeah, everything tonight is about board of education. It is, it is the thing that everyone, and from a local perspective, that's into politics, is watching tonight of what direction, um, particularly district four. Where do they go? Um, that is the that is the contentious district uh, in Howard County. A lot of candidates in that. Yeah, I mean there, there there are there are actually only four active candidates. One, Mike Shear, has dropped out, and Daniel Margolis had never actually ran a campaign. So there's four active candidates that are running in that race in that district.
0: Yeah, Sh- Charlie, what do you think? What do you make of this of, of the marquee races? What are the top races that you are watching? Not only in Baltimore but around the state. What will be the uh, what will be that moment where we say that we could look at these certain, these specific results and say, um, and, and possibly draw a pattern out of it? What, uh, what, what do you think?
7: You're muted, Charlie. <laughs> Thank you. I'm
2: sorry. My, my, my internet is unstable. So I only got,
1: we unfortunately missed most he of races, that. I think?
2: Is that was was that the question?
1: No, my let me just let
0: me reframe that question quickly for you. What do you, what are you, what races are you watching in addition to Baltimore City?
2: Well, I think um definitely the Howard County Board of Education like that we just covered. I think that that's um I think um and then there's uh, Montgomery County Board of Education too. Yeah. I think. Given all that's going on, given the blueprint legislation, given um, all of that, and especially the redistricting question that Howard County just went through, I think all of that, uh, people are looking um, at the results uh, because leaders are going to be asked to step up and make some tough decisions. And... Whatever happens in Howard County is going to be an indication for them of whether they, how much they want to rock the boat.
0: That's a good point. In the District 4 Howard County Board of Education race, who is the incumbent in this race?
6: There are actually two. Um, so this is, so we switched from a um, countywide rate uh, election to now this is our first election cycle by district. So Kirsten Coombs and Jen Mallow are currently on the board today. Mm-hmm. Uh, only one, if they both are the two that go through, only only one will be on the board in the future. Now there's a very strong candidate in Susan Palmer um, that is, I believe, going to have a good showing tonight. Uh, whether she's, you know, I, I believe the, my, if I were to guess right this second, it's Kirsten Coombs, Jen Mallow, Says Palmer. Two of those three will move on. Um and, and, and there are clear lines drawn on uh, locally of who's supporting this candidate versus who's supporting these candidates. And, um, and, and as, um, uh, Charlie just mentioned, I mean, this is, this, this is the race. <laughs> this is the one that I think everyone's not only going to look here in Howard County, but in other counties of district four, how did this turn out tonight? How did this turn out in November? And what, and, and what the, the, The dominoes that affect that going in other jurisdictions like Montgomery, Anne Arundel and others that go through redistricting in the future, Um, I believe this is going to play into that in a big way, specifically this district.
7: Also, um, just to toss out there, if you look at the demographics, like partisan wise of Howard County, it's pretty representative of the entire state. It's essentially all the countywide offices are basically Democrats, uh, have been for a while. And especially if these Republican candidates at the Board of Education level can start making inroads, then it does also give a template in other counties, like, you know, to, to basically make similar inroads. What messaging can actually translate into these other districts? What does it take for somebody to say, I'm going to vote for somebody who's going to introduce radical change into our education system?
0: That's a good point. An an excellent point. And the same is happening in Montgomery County where there's three candidates that are essentially being discussed out of the 13-person at-large primary race. One is for neighborhood schools and then basically the entire Montgomery County political base has come out and said we're going to we're we're going to root against this guy. But the Washington Post which is a predictor of elections in Montgomery County for the most part. When they endorse a candidate, that candidate tends to fare very well because we know that people are less inclined to pay attention to Board of Education races. And so it's it's between three candidates in Montgomery County, and depending on whether those three candidates, it could be the top two candidates who will advance to the, the general election uh, who are very similar, perhaps one of the candidates who are Pro neighborhood schools could split that vote, and then he could make his way up into that second position. And then who knows what's going to happen in the general election? That's that's not unheard of. So
4: I, 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 I do there
1: think there Stephen Austin makes to the general. I'm sorry, I'm I uh, Ryan. I do think that Stephen Austin is going to make it to the general. I think it's going to be Lynn Harris versus Stephen Austin
0: that's a that's a very i mean and that's kind of the conventional wisdom of what could happen although Sunil Desgupta he's got the apple ballot and that's a big deal that's a huge deal in Montgomery County
4: Now, didn't Stephen Austin literally get every elected official putting in explicit letter saying do not vote for Stephen Austin So Just, yeah they get they gets you a lot of votes <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah and look Stephen Austin yes he has He has gotten a lot of pushback from elected officials, but not everyone. But there's certainly it was at least half of the delegation who said, don't vote for him. Um, So
1: if they didn't think he was going to win, they wouldn't have said anything. Well, and and like Ryan said, uh, between Lynn Harris, Sunil Dasgupta and Dalvin Osario, the progressive vote in Montgomery, you can estimate it pretty easily using the 2018 numbers, looking at either how Mark Elrich did or how Brandy Brooks and Chris Wilhelm did, it's something like 16% of the vote, yeah. something like that. Divide that vote two or three ways. That's not not—that's not enough to win countywide, and even just in the primary.
0: Let's talk about District 10 in Baltimore City, a district that I have entered, interviewed, uh, Natasha Gwines, a up-and-coming, I think, star in Maryland politics. Richard, you've been following this. Uh, Charlie, you have been following this race. Does Natasha, does she pull it out tonight?
2: Charlie, you can start. You can go ahead. Um,
1: <laughs> I, I think that Natasha is in, Natasha could win. I'm not going to say she, she will, but I think Natasha might win because uh, Felicia Porter, who started running very early, who I originally was supporting, she was not knocking the doors needed to win that race. And then you add in, the, the extra time because of COVID, uh, Mark and Len believe that Natasha was at advantage when it was about door knocking. But I imagine that Natasha spent a lot of time going to events and calling people, even after the pandemic, when I know that Felicia Porter must have had to be working. So with that, along with that, uh, Felicia <laughs> Natasha has the Sheila Dixon endorsement. Sheila Dixon won that district in 2016. That's a Sheila Dixon stronghold. When you combine all of those factors, I think that Natasha has a good shot of beating Felicia, and Felicia should easily be able to sweep up that district under ordinary circumstances.
2: I think. Um, I think it's going to be close. I think mm-hmm. Felicia is going to pull it out. Um, I think you know. Um, you know, if, if this was on April twenty eighth, then maybe Natasha would. Um, have gotten it. I I think that given what's going on in the city, I think given the um, the surge that I think is going to happen for the forward slate, which uh, on which, which uh, um Felicia is a part of, I think that she she pulls it out in that district. But it's interesting because <clears throat> it's interesting. Natasha's Natasha's approach to this district is interesting because it's very much like. Um, Dan Sparacco running for president or Mary Miller running for um, running for um, uh, mayor, you know, that it, there's a, you know, the, it's a the somewhat diverse district. And, you know, mm-hmm. she's carved out a path where she can, you know, appeal to, a um, you know, pick up the white working class votes, voters that are down there. And then she only has to pick up a few of you know uh folks out of out of Felicia's camp and um, and then she's able to win um but I think it's going to be really close. I think it's it, it'll be no more than one maybe two percentage points Yeah.
0: How much and, money and also, was spent in these races?
1: Oof, Felicia had like $60,000 ish, 55 to 60. Natasha I think had like 45 something like that. Yeah. I think
2: um she more than that. I think Natasha's numbers are the last numbers I saw. She had, was spending more than Felicia, I, I thought. You know, it's
0: it's it's interesting, and I just want to briefly touch on this. and And Jarrett mentioned that the results are coming in, in Maryland's sixth congressional district, and it's only a few percentage points here,
7: but uh, we we can call it for fall, Trone now. He got, yeah, he had fifty six votes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but
0: but even still, though, David Trone. With fifty-six and then forty-four percent to a virtual unknown. What does that say though?
1: Yeah, and and you can call it now David Trone running for governor, just like just like I said with District Four and Anthony Brown. If you're running for Congress and a person comes out of nowhere and can get above twenty-five percent, what does that say for you as a potential statewide candidate? It does not bode very well. Does it
2: remember? I mean, it's not like David Trone has this huge track record. Like let's think back to how crowded that race was two years ago. He spent a boatload of money, fifteen in million. Order to get it. He could
1: have bought. He could have bought
7: that part of the state with that much money.
0: Does tonight? Oh, hey,
7: excuse uh, me. We have value out here, Richard. <laughs> I understand that you enlightened urban elites don't get that.
3: <laughs> I, I think another thing that it says is uh, progressives in rural parts of the state and District Six here in District One are actually a thing. I mean, mm-hmm. we often get tapped. Uh, Passed over. I mean, there's a lot of great uh, progressive leaders like Richard, uh, Richard out in uh, some of these big urban colonies, but uh, us progressives here in uh, rural areas and and we're able to make impacts on races like in District 1 and District 6. Am I saying uh, Maxwell is going to win? I haven't followed the race, but I do yeah. think he can be able to make an impact because there are a lot of progressives in these rural areas that people don't talk about or normally don't have the, uh, their voices heard.
0: Well, that's a that's a point that should be taken well, and tonight, based on the results, and we have seen very limited results, but of course tonight could be, and, and then the general election, moving into that, I think we might have a good idea of kind of how the gubernatorial race in Maryland mm-hmm. will shape up in 2022. And what I'm seeing, and just by looking at this, the, some of the results, given what might might happen— this is all good news, seemingly, for Peter Francho.
1: Yes. I, I I personally think that, number one, the county executive candidates, they can't run for governor. No matter how good your response is to COVID, there's going to be 20 or so percent of your, of your county that vote in your primary who just aren't going to like it, no matter what. Like, for Johnny O and Angela, I think for both of them, that kneecaps them strongly, and that leaves the federal candidates of Trone and Brown— uh, if Trone runs, for anybody that's not Francho, it's going to be too expensive. For Brown, a lot of people just don't like him, even even in Prince George's, because he's uninspiring, he generally supports whoever he's told to support, he wouldn't support Peter Buttigieg, he supported Hillary Clinton above Barack Obama. Uh, for all intents and purposes, I would call it right now that if the primary were held uh, under ordinary circumstances in 2022... Peter Franchot wins, I think, quite easily.
4: And then he. What if someone from the left comes at the comptroller? Um, I, I think based on. Based on at least like how the Maryland primary went last time, if someone comes in with some serious leftist credentials, um, they can go out and grab that progressive wing from the comptroller. Um, Do you see anybody maybe like that sneaking through next year's? uh, I'm sorry, not next year's. uh, The 2022 Uh gubernatorial. Uh, well, Ben Jealous
1: just got hired today as like the chair of People for the American Way, so mm. I assume he's not running. Probably not. Donna Edwards, unfortunately, has multiple sclerosis and lost mm. her last race, so I believe that she's effectively retired. Yeah. Um, and that leaves... Mm-hmm. Who does that leave, really, in this state? That's, that, that is It doesn't just need to be a progressive. In order to win against Franco. you need to be a black progressive. A white progressive will have a difficult time Because you need a good number of votes in Montgomery and Prince George's and Baltimore, where the where the demographics are not exactly uh,
7: uh, white majority voters. Well, you guys are missing one more layer of this, right? Uh So with basically COVID in lockdown imposed uh, recession that we're going to have for the next two years, um, Peter Franchot's numbers, he's going to have to go into Annapolis and argue against spending increases. Okay. Because there's going to be no way of balancing this state's budget with how much economic activity has completely shut down. And it's going to take us years to get out of it. Franchot's primary appeal as far as a bipartisan candidate is from his financial credentials. And he's going to spend the next two years arguing with Democrats in Annapolis saying, you can't spend this money. And so there, so that's how a progressive is going to get in. Why don't you support our big government spending programs? And he's going to try to be the pragmatist, saying,
2: "We don't have
7: the money. We literally don't. We have balanced budget amendments." That's how a progressive is going to sneak in.
0: And I want I to, spoil- want to it, a- Go ahead, Sean. I
2: disagree, with, I disagree with Richard. I don't. I don't think it has to be a black progressive that runs. I think if it if if it's, you know, a, a black candidate doesn't have to be progressive. It could be a very moderate. Uh, person like a Glenn Ivy um, hmm. that could run. Um, and I think they would, you know, the establishment would get behind them. I don't think um, Peter Francho hasn't made a whole lot of friends. So I think he really has an uphill battle in getting um, progressives on his side, even though he, he likes to say he was the most progressive person in Montgomery County when he was in the legislature. Um, he hasn't acted that way in the last several years. Uh, Years and um, and I agree with what Eric said. Is like there's just he's just gonna clash, if only because he wants to make himself stand out as the moderate in the race. Um,
0: So to your point, I think that it's it would be fascinating to see what kind of money David Trone would spend, even (laughs) even if, even though Peter Francho has had a platform where he has developed pretty rock solid relationships over the last 20 years 16 years as comptroller and he's used that position in a in a very public way though could it be where two moderates battle it out and someone like angela also brooks sneaks up because i i'm telling you also brooks has a bright political career and i think she's going to eventually be the first female governor of the state of maryland
3: Well, what what makes me think that Francho's probably going to win the primary pretty easily and what isn't typically talked about is who's going to challenge Francho in rural areas of the state. One of the big things in 2018 is Ben Jealous won the entire Eastern Shore. He was down here. He worked with us. He was the only Democrat here. Francho is really the only Democrat statewide who's been down here on the Eastern Shore. Uh, I just don't see anyone who can come up against him, even if Trone spends... Billion dollars, you're not going to get people here on the shore and other rural districts like uh, out where you live just by throwing money at us. It has to come down to you have to come here, you have to show you care about this community. Uh, and I think one of the big things that I've heard Democrats uh, the last two gubernatorial elections, and Allison touched on it last night if you're not carrying 40 percent in these rural areas. You're not going to win. You can't we can't win with just four counties anymore. The state's bigger than, you know, Montgomery, Baltimore City, Baltimore County yeah. and the other counties. Um, so I think Democrats really need to think long and hard on what their opinion on rural areas is. And if anyone wants to challenge Franchise, y'all better get out to the eastern shore. Y'all better get out to the western Maryland as soon as possible.
0: Yeah, And, yeah. and not only to that, in looking at my, our Montgomery County race, <laughs> our Montgomery County executive race has essentially already began. Richard, you know this. Hans Reimer desperately wants to be county executive. Yep. Yep. And so does Craig Rice. Yep. And I would Never. even imagine to say that David Blair would give it a second go yep. around. Does Mark Elrich get defeated if he runs for reelection?
1: I think so. Like honestly if I was in Montgomery uh, and I was voting. i'm I'm a socialist. I would not vote Mark Elridge for reelection. Uh, in my opinion, he's not done a good job. Uh, I, I don't hear of of his plans. Only thing I ever heard was about a housing project, and that was mostly make low in or make housing in Frederick so people can commute here.,
7: uh, Yo, that's a great plan. <laughs> Yo, like we'll take it.
1: So I, I think that he's going to have a difficult time next go round, whether it's against Hans Reamer, who I expect to run for executive, yes, or against Craig Rice, or what? Because he he only narrowly beat David Blair, and he had what, 29 and a half percent?
0: Yeah, 77 votes David Blair lost by in a recount for the ages. That was it was just fascinating. Had they taken on one another one on one, Blair may have won that race.
1: Blair would have won that race, in, in my in my opinion, if it was a one-on-one. But then throw in, who are the other people? Uh,
0: Roger Berliner, George Leventhal.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, you're forgetting my favorite one. Um, he ran for, he tried to run for everything. Robin Ficker? Robin Ficker. No, 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 no. He's a <laughs> Democrat. He came in last. Uh, it's not important. But, yeah, there were oh. so many other people who were like Blair running in that race. Yeah. Uh, that if it were one on one against, especially for the reelect, I think that David Blair beat Mark Elrod. Bye, Chelsea. Bye, Chelsea.
2: Um, bye. Bye, everyone. Field again, though. I think it's going to be as crowded. Uh, it'll be as crowded as it was this past um, in the in twenty eighteen.
0: Well, I'm I'm interested to see. I want to move over into Baltimore City again. The council president could be that race I have been following closely. And I have to say, honestly, one of the best campaigners in the race, Nick Mosby, I think has this wrapped up.
1: Charlie, you, you, you start. I'll insult Nick Mosby afterwards.
0: Okay. I,
7: I, I got
2: after Rich. <laughs> I think, um, I think, you know, um, I think he definitely has, um, a, um, you know, he's definitely, Nick is a, he's a, been a great delegate. I think um, he definitely has a cachet of, uh, of, he has both the cachet of being married to Mallory and Mosby and and uh, it's both a positive and a negative for him because the people who don't like her. Um, I think the one of the biggest concerns is that um, the idea that there's a, that's a great deal of power in one household. Yeah. And I think that works against them. Uh, that is going to work against Nick. Um, I think, uh, you know, Carl Stokes is still, um, there are a lot of seniors who like Carl Stokes and, you know, they voted for him in the past. He's, you know, people are concerned and um, he's still in it. Um, and then, you know, there's Shannon Thede who's on the forward slate. Um, I, I really think right now that was probably the most, I, I got the most calls about city council president because people are, they like, you know, those three candidates and um, not sure you know, who to vote for.
1: Charlie, I, I took that race for quite a while as a competition, much more of name wreck. Like for mayor, people were thinking, what are we, what's our city going to focus on and who's best at that? If they are concerned about long-term uh, financial recovery, a lot of those people are going to Mary Miller. If they're talking about competency in city government, a lot of them go with Sheila Dixon. If they're thinking about a vision for the future, they go with, with Brandon Scott. But for city council president, it's been so name rec oriented where I think the primary topic of discussion is how much do people like slash not like the last name Mosby above mm-hmm. everything else.
2: Yeah. Like I would. Shannon,
1: Shannon has done, I think a very good job of campaigning. I think she did not have enough time. I think that she did not have enough money. If she had declared maybe a year earlier, I think she would have easily won that race. But between the, the strength of that last name for Mosby, everybody in the city knows it for Shannon Sneed. When I was knocking doors in Logan's district, even for people with multiple signs, a lot of them didn't know who Shannon was. Granted, this was before the commercials. This was before the pandemic. But if the most like tuned-in progressive voters in white suburban Baltimore don't know you, in a swing district, that's a really difficult win.
7: Yeah, so hold, hold, I, I, I want to complain about the entire Mosby family, period. Um, like... <laughs> So, hands down, I do not comprehend how anybody in Baltimore ever gets reelected. So, in in name some rack.
1: name but, rack.
7: look look look. In the last five years, the per capita death rate from homicides in Baltimore has been somewhere between fifty and sixty per one hundred thousand. That's twice as many people have died from COVID. All right, over the last five years, okay, Marilyn Mosby was the state's attorney like where the hell is she what the hell is anybody doing in that city to address any of the systemic problems period and of course yes a lot of them have been built up over decades of you know nonsense zoning at you know the what is that called you when you like zone basically you zone and create red yeah red that's it redlining um like these are all like systemic problems in the city and nobody is doing anything to address it at any level period so why would you ever vote for an incumbent
4: well eric i think that a lot of these people understand that baltimore is in a very unique position considering how much state power and oversight it has over the city itself as for um maryland and the potential mosby popularity i think maryland mosby deserves um recent complaints or whatever people may have aside for being i think the first state's attorney to prosecute uh police officers that did not do their job well. It killed someone or murdered someone. And I'll give her that. Yeah. Th- yeah. If anybody knows um, otherwise, but I think that was the most high profile, um, high profile police prosecution that came out of when uh, Black Lives Matter first started em- emerging.
7: Actually, no, I, have, I have a correction. The state of Idaho tried to charge an FBI agent with murder for the Ruby Ridge incident in
8: 1998. Oh. <laughs>
4: yeah, but like with the Black Lives Matter yes, movement, not with the. Um, Yes, militia movement. Well, and
7: and fortunately for us, the Supreme Court is examining sovereign immunity um, with multiple cases that are coming up. So we might be seeing a lot more police officers arrested for committing crimes.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, to answer your question, Eric, I think, um, I mean, one of the things that we've seen is in Baltimore, and, and crime has definitely increased, especially since 2015, is what, we haven't no one wants to talk about and and i really hoped would be an election issue is you know baltimore police department just not doing their job you know Mm -hmm. like like the number of arrests are down significantly and you know for for a force that doesn't live here why do they care if you know crime is running rampant if they get to leave every day um it just increases their bargaining position um and you know marilyn mosby there's a only so much a prosecutor can do if the police aren't arresting anything and they're not building cases. Um, and that's really a, a problem. What's really the problem though, is that they the budget for police continues to go up, even though productivity goes down. And I don't know anywhere else in the country where I can do less and make, and get more money to do less.
7: We well, can't anytime you work for the government. Um, but actually, I think a couple days ago, Cato um, Institute put out a really good article about the, the correlation between union contracts and essentially police misconduct not being adequately prosecuted. So if the state does have oversight, then Nick Mosby should be popping out some legislation saying, let's change the terms of this union contract so that when cops screw up, we can put them in jail.
0: I think that's well, going to happen.
2: Move to um, change the law, law, uh, law enforcement officers bill of rights. Which would allow, um, you know, bad officers to to be um, well, to be removed from office. I, I want to switch change it.
7: Let's get rid of it. I want to. They, they already have a bill of rights. It should be the same as ours.
0: I want to switch directions just a bit and just and talk about national politics since we do have an audience. And look, the last the last week in the United States of America has been devastating on multiple fronts. We saw the death of George Floyd out in Minnesota at the behest of a police officer who kneeled on his neck and suffocated him until he took his last breath when George Floyd said repeatedly over and over, I cannot, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And we've seen mass demonstrations, peaceful demonstrations somewhere in other places, not so much, but yesterday... Was the culmination, I think, of this just, I, I think, this indelible moment in American history where the president of the United States makes a speech from the Rose Garden and then uses tear gas to deter protesters and move them out while he walks a block and a half to the Episcopal Church uh, in north of the White House through Lafayette Square, and only a block and a half away are thousands of people standing ready uh, who I, I think hate the president, and he holds up a Bible and a photo op that I think will go down as one of the most unusual moments of this presidency amid many. And... I don't know. I mean, I look at politics and try to make sense of it, but yesterday was a moment where I, I really tr- I, I can't make sense of it. Maybe he was upset because they said that he's weak and he was hiding out in a bunker, though it was the Secret Service who told him that he needed to go there. And yet yesterday he was surrounded by Secret Service. I mean, was I don't know what he, I, I, I just
7: this is why we need Teddy Roosevelt back. Because even after being shot, he finished his
4: speech. <laughs> Eric, I think that's the first thing you said I've uh, fully agreed
3: with. Um, <laughs> I'm all for a progressive president again, so good job, Eric. Good take.
7: I just <laughs> want somebody that gets shot and says, hey, I, I have a job to do, and I'm going to finish it. You can stitch
4: me up later. Yeah, put down a bull moose. Um, as, as for what we're seeing nationally, I, I think we're seeing finally – some effort and attention on how law enforcement conducts themselves, especially with uh, the black community. And um, in a lot of these areas we're getting on camera, peaceful protests that then turn violent because the cops started rioting. Um, Richard, I think you and Jared are probably gonna agree with me on that statement, but Minneapolis started off very peacefully until the police fired tear gas. Louisville the police just started shooting rubber bullets with no real provocation and we're at this point where it's not sustainable and when we actually have at least maybe I'm being optimistic and if someone goes you're nothing's going to happen to me I'll probably put my head down and go yeah you're probably right but we have a bipartisan push at the national level to demilitarize the police and I am genuinely hoping something comes out of that and I think we're going to actually see in some state legislat- uh, state legislatures some things done on that. Uh, David Moon is, granted this is on Twitter, so who knows what will come out of this, but David Moon is pushing what police reforms would you like to see. And I know a lot of other states are starting to see that too.
3: Um, I I,
7: I have to defend my Republican friends here very briefly. Um, So the demilitarization of police is a pretty solid bipartisan issue. Um, The same sort of rhetoric that you see about it coming out of somebody like David Moon also comes out of people like Sheriff Jenkins out here in Frederick County, um, who, you know, refuses. Basically, the only thing he's accepted from the 1033 program were a couple of M16s that he converted to semi-automatic. Um, and and you know, going out of his way to not re- appropriate military gear for police use, um, and so you do see this across the political spectrum.
2: I think it's about more than police gear, though. The real issue is there, you know, is the um, the militaristic um, culture that's mm-hmm. been that's been um, adopted by um, police forces across the country. And what I can say is, I feel for the first time that there's really gonna be change because in 140 cities, there are protests. And in 140 cities, from the very small to the very large, what you see are police forces decked out like they are in Kabul. Um, And I think people are looking at their police forces and thinking, why does my police force look like an occupying uh look like an occupying force um and uh, and even as the whole country is watching they can't help themselves <laughs> but you know by shooting you know unarmed people and leaving their bodies in the street for 14 hours and then you know um you know beating up uh, cameramen i think um I think, you know, this is a turning point. I hope this is a turning
4: point. I, I feel that. Charlie, I want to, sorry, Ryan, um, if, I, if I could please, on Please, please, Charlie, Brooks. I want to really thank you for using the phrase police looking like they're occupying it. And along with the military equipment, a lot of the training that our police officers use, especially in massive cities where not many officers live in the city itself, they're commuting in, and so they don't see themselves as part of the community are treating policing like a military occupation. And I don't know if people are consciously doing this or not, but they're now starting to see, react like an insurgent would when they're occupied by a hostile foreign power. Yeah, yeah. And so we need to change this, um, how we train these police officers. Uh, one of the big training programs that they use is this thing by uh, Lieutenant Colonel Professor David Grossman called the Bulletproof Mind, which actually trains officers to treat themselves like military personnel and that's why american police have killed more people than their counterparts in europe
7: yo if i took if when i was in iraq i took any of the shots that we've seen from cops against unarmed civilians in the last five years i would have been a throne at fort leavenworth in a heartbeat that's what court it boils right? down to. We had this exact same conversation, me and Ryan, back and thinking Ferguson, yeah. uh, when when that whole thing was going on. You know, those cops were better equipped than I was. Iraq, two thousand six. Like, are you kidding me? like yeah okay i get you 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 want to have a bulletproof vest that makes sense that's reasonable coming out here tr- looking like your gi joe like <laughs> no that that def- like yes is there a need for such a force within our police force i yes,
0: want to break in here with some breaking news on oh. uh a race that uh we talked about earlier in cecil county cecil county is poised to have a new county executive in 2021 Danielle Hornberger is at 59% over incumbent Alan McCarthy. Danielle Hornberger, who has, who has rode the Trump wave all the way to the local elections there in Cecil County, with uh, 4,909 votes in, 59.7% over Dr. Alan McCarthy, who is the incumbent county executive. He is at 24.6%. Danielle McCarthy is poised to become cecil county's next county executive wow
2: that's painful
0: (laughs) well uh results are streaming in and it looks like we have does anybody care about dorchester county i know you do
4: (laughs) We got some eastern shore representation we should care about every county
0: we do i love by the way i love dorchester county cambridge is one of my most favorite places um Jared, anything on the – it looks like there's a Board of Education race down there between Phil Bramble, Mike Diaz, and Steve McDonald. Do you know anything about those three?
3: So part of what our organization does is send questionnaires out to all candidates running in Dorchester, Wacomico, Worcester, and Somerset. We did not hear back um, from any of the candidates in that race. Hmm. Um That was one of the few races here on the Eastern Shore that weren't really talked about. Um, But I I assure you I'll probably get a message from uh, the few folks who are watching from Dorchester County tonight who have been messaging me all night uh, with some updates on that.
0: Uh, And and also we have some election results over in District 4 and 5 of Howard County in the nonpartisan Board of Education race. And it, it appears, and I am unfamiliar, that's why I... Wish I had Scott here to break this down, but it looks like in the lead is Jen Mallow in District 4 and Yun Lu in District 5. So, does anybody have any insight or intel into these races?
1: Uh, for District 4, um, Scott said that Jen Mallow was one of the current at-larges. For some of the people I know in Howard County, they're supporting Jen Mallow. And it makes sense that it's uh, that it looks like it's going to be Jen Malo versus Sazen Palmer. Like I told you before, I think it's going to be Stephen Austin versus uh,
0: Lynn Harris
1: versus Lynn Harris. Uh, Cezan Palmer is running a similar kind of campaign to Stephen Austin. Uh, Jen Mallow is an already existing at large is the nominal progressive choice. So I think that's going to be the dynamic for people who appeal to ideological voters in these districts i think that's who wins in these school board races and i think even for these judge races
3: no i i do have an update on the dorchester uh race so i was just informed that phil brambly who is in the lead is actually on the dorchester democratic central committee so a democrat is currently leading in that race
0: okay interesting um Oops. I, I'm looking at the Maryland State Board of Elections website, and does anybody else have any other sources that they're using? I'm using that in Politico.
4: I got nothing on my side, and I'm actually a little frustrated. Even our school board races in Anne Arundel County aren't coming in. As I was
0: gonna say the Gazette. Are they? I'm sure they're waiting for results, just like all of us are. And uh, Politico seems to have some some good information, though I haven't seen it been updated at all, and nothing yet on the the races inside of Baltimore City. We won't I, I don't think we're gonna know about these races until late in the night. And uh, I suspect if it's very close there will they will go through the recount process.
1: Yeah. I there's also a New York Times one for Maryland's fifth district, but there's no there's no info in it yet.
0: Okay. And I wanna say there also is some breaking news at on the national side. President Donald Trump tweeted that he wants the GOP to seek a different location for the Republican National Convention after North Carolina's governor has essentially pushed back against the president because we're still in the midst of COVID-19 and the president wants to move ahead with holding the convention in North Carolina with uh, seemingly thousands and thousands of Republicans descending upon Charlotte. So moving the convention... I wonder where they would move it to. That would be some. That would have to be some quick action. I'm, I'm not opposed to having it here in the state of Maryland to bring in. I'm heavily
4: opposed. I don't want.
5: Right. I don't <laughs> want any
0: big crowds coming into he's, the state.
7: Look, he's gonna do it at Mar a Lago. Duh. Oh. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, that, what's,
2: the other, what's the other golf course that he has in Florida? Is a Doral? it Doral? Doral. That's it.
0: I've never been to a Trump property in my life, never, and I don't think I'm gonna go anyways
4: that you know of
0: that you that you know of you know i could get a... i
4: um i i uh, have been to the vineyard uh down outside the charlottesville area and um
0: the trump wine
4: yeah i've never tasted such swill in my life oh <laughs> a bottle of arbor mist will serve you better
0: well, bottle or box
7: why not both <laughs>
0: Let's see. There's some local election results in Caroline County, and there's a Board of Education race there. I believe Caroline County is one of Maryland's smallest and least densely populated counties, and I think that goes to Kent County for being the least populated county in the state. I'm pretty sure.
3: That sounds just about right.
0: Okay. Um, So, nothing yet on the big races, but... It's just fascinating looking at the Cecil County race where Danielle Hornberger, who is effectively – she ran ads with another council incumbent, Jackie Gregory, who is leading her opponent with 65 percent of the vote. Um, Danielle Hornberger brought national politics and a local race, and I guess whomever their strategist was for that for that particular race – uh, whoever the Republican strategist was, it seems like the president is still very popular among the Republican base in the state of Maryland, and running to the president's even to his right seems like an effective strategy.
7: Well, he is, Ryan. I mean that – the. The reality is, is that whatever people think of Trump and whatever it is that he does, that he does have a following, whether you agree with it or not. And there's people right. that will defend anything that he says or does, whether it's right or wrong. And obviously in rural areas, that's a strategy that works.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right. It it, it certainly seems like that it is a strategy that works. And candidates are not afraid. They're not hesitant like they were in 2016 to fully embrace the president and it's wherever he might be popular candidates will uh try to ride the coattails and if not then
4: uh, they might back away so i republican republican politics with um hogan is kind of an exception aside is now based on how loyal to trump are you and i think even if trump loses like the national election it's going to be how loyal are you to the doctrine of trumpism and how long inconsistent have you held that and and you brought up some of these local races and i think that's actually going to hurt a lot of down
0: ballot republicans brooks you brought up someone we haven't really talked about tonight and that's governor larry hogan and based on tonight's election results which i don't think will be a precursor or yield any sort of definitive plan for him in the future but there seems to be a plan i don't know what it is yet but Could the governor be interested in running for a U.S. Senate seat in
4: twenty twenty two or
0: twenty twenty four?
4: Um, a Senate seat, I think, is possible. I've heard a lot of people say he's thinking presidential. um, But based on the reactions of the reopen groups that have been popping up here and there, lockdown, Larry's going to sink him too much. And honestly, I think the only path forward if he's interested in going into federal politics is Senate. And what uh, well, me as a partisan Democrat really and genuinely hoping is he won't be able to run away from those national positions that he may hold but hasn't had to bring up in these big statewide races. Um, I think a good example of that is when he tried to turn down the Syrian refugees in 2015. And a national race where that actually has some impact, that can bite him. It didn't matter when he did it in this first term as governor because he had no control over it. It was all just playing
3: to a certain base to try to keep him happy. One thing I... I would say, um, and I'm not, I am a Democrat, but I wouldn't say I'm as partisan of a Democrat as uh, you are, no offense. Um, (laughs) But when it comes to Chris Van Hollen, I would assume he would be the one that Larry Hogan could challenge and have a shot at winning. I think when you get Larry Hogan to a national presidential election, not only are they going to attack him as lockdown Larry, but they're going to talk about all the times that he took credit for the stuff the General Assembly passed, the education reforms and all these liberal bills. I just don't see a path forward in this Republican Party uh, presidentially. However, I am glad to see that uh, Chris Van Hollen is now showing up uh, on the Eastern Shore and other uh, non-urban areas uh, in the district. He spoke to the LSPC. He spoke to the local Dem Club yesterday, and that's really the first time um, uh, we've really seen him in quite a while engaging with people. So I'm, I'm glad to see that, you know, maybe Larry Hogan running for Senate is a good thing because it will inspire Democrats like Chris Van Hollen, who normally think I'm going to stay in four counties. To oh, now I actually have to care about the whole state. So, yeah, a well, little competition never hurt. Charlotte I do. Uh, I want to just sorry,
0: just briefly yeah. just touch to go over to Charlotte. And if Larry Hogan does decide to to challenge Chris Van Hollen, let's let's call out the proverbial no pun intended the elephant in the room is could he get through a Republican primary in the state of Maryland?
2: Uh, I, I absolutely think Hogan could get through a Republican primary in the state of Maryland. I, I mean, I'm not a Republican, but I think that he's still pretty popular. Um, even I think, you know, let's just be honest. The, the liberate folks are, are a very small fringe group. Uh, I think for the most part, he has um, – I think he could definitely get through the Maryland primary. I don't think he, he – he, he couldn't win the state and in a general. Um, you don't he think make- he could
0: beat Van Hollen or any- –
2: um, No, I don't think he can beat Van Hollen. I
4: think the party ID matters more in a federal race than it does at a statewide.
0: And especially whoever the president is at the time.
3: Exactly. I'm going to have to differ on that one. I think it depends how much the party I know in the past with Mia, uh, Maya, Rocky Moore Cummings, when she was state chair, there was a heavy investment in all parts of the state. I'm interested to see how this new chair, will they continue to invest in organizers outside the big four? Will they be cut? That's one of our big concerns out here. Um, if we're not investing outside the big four, I think Hogan could absolutely win because he wasn't supposed to win governor the first time. He wasn't supposed to win governor the second time. I think we can't afford to continue the get cocky on statewide and think, Oh, he's just an anomaly. You know, the next election, he'll, we'll do the same thing. He'll still, he'll lose this time. Um, I definitely think we kind of have to rethink how we evaluate the state and, uh, what we consider needed to win and how we build the party in the state. Um, So I, and it's also going to come down to, in terms of can Hogan get through a primary? Well, that depends. Does Donald Trump have an opponent, um, a primary opponent that he's supporting? Uh, I know Andy Harris could very well go against Larry Hogan if it's a contested primary. I know those two camps have had fights here in district one, not publicly, but more behind the scenes. So there's a lot of different factors there that could swing it one way or the other.
0: Well, that's a good point. That's the state party Republican apparatus. They're not aligned with Hogan, and Hogan's not aligned with them. Hogan built his own network essentially in 2014 and used that in place of the state party uh, in in the state of Maryland, and they were largely – I mean they were not – they weren't effective, and he built –
7: that's how he's going to win is because nobody views him as a traditional Republican. He operates outside of the state GOP. Um, If he's going to dive in, it's going to be when I think, who is it that said it on the feed there? Uh, Jamie Conway, he's going to wait until it's an open seat. He's not going to bother trying to run against an incumbent. Um, So if if Cardin does not run for reelection, he's going to run in that in what 2024. Yep. Um, So that, that's when he'll run and his opponent
1: would be his opponent would be Sarbanes in that circumstance Sarbanes has never run a competitive race in his life he's one of the most awkward people you'll ever encounter in your life and if that race comes down to actual retail politicking i think even if andy harris runs against hogan that might work in his favor because that would show that hogan is not the most extreme
7: Look, if I was running Hogan's campaign, I would try to find some crazy, like yep. Trumpian Republican to run against me in the primary. And that would know,
1: be yeah. and the
0: I mean, Andy Harris is the perfect foil because where else yep. does Andy Harris have to go in politics? There's no upward mobility. No, no. He's
7: you're thinking small fry. You need to get Robin Ficker up there because anybody <laughs> looks sane next to that man. All right. Well, yeah, so...
1: he'll run across the state. He'll put signs up in trees everywhere.
7: Wasn't it it George Gluck that did that? Wasn't he running for election um, for the (laughs) Green Party guy? So don't try to pin that on us, bud.
0: Richard, are you hearing any information from the races? What are you hearing on the ground? I see you studiously studying your phone.
1: Oh, I'm I'm constantly refreshing the results, but nothing for (laughs) Baltimore. We're not going to have the results for hours.
5: Yeah, yeah I think that
2: online. I'm hearing that people are still in line.
1: Yeah. Okay. And, and when I went to vote, there were maybe 100 people before me in line. It took me about an hour and a half.
0: When you were going out to vote today, were people adequately prepared with COVID-19 PPE?
1: Uh, Yeah, for, for almost all the people in line. I'd say probably 80-plus percent of the people in the line had on masks. Mm-hmm. But... In my opinion, the way that this was broken down, it could have been better. If every district had its own polling place, that would have been better because, for instance, I went and voted at Northwood. Charlie, did you go to a voting place in the city today?
2: No, I voted by mail.
1: Oh, see, but you're I smart.
2: Out, I did go check it out, and Northwood was huge.
1: Look at her cat. But, but that is a cute cat. But there <laughs> were at Northwood, there were people from districts three, four, five, seven uh, 12 and 14. So six city council districts. So there were people electioneering from from front to back. There were probably 10 or 11 different campaigns that were there. Uh, and for, I think for the lit handouts and just for how close everybody, what it was, uh, it it, it was definitely not what I would consider quote unquote safe, especially for older people. So I think that there needs to be a deep, deep redo of how we both do vote by mail and of how we adjust our polling places so that it's never this packed again, regardless of pandemic or not. Like, uh, um, I'm deeply ashamed of the Baltimore City Board of Elections in this process, to put it lightly.
7: To, to avoid uh, um, partner aggro, I have to state that when I dropped off my ballot, I did not wear a mask.
0: Hmm. Well, shame on you, Eric. You yeah, get... I'm a terrible person. Well, uh, I, I will say that I did vote early and I sent in my mail-in ballot. and I dropped it off at uh, the, the post office and I did wear my mask. So uh, I always wear my my PPE and my gl- everywhere we go, I have gloves and PPE. And so and I wash my hands like 10 times a day.
7: I hate masks so much that I built a 1,000-square-foot garden so I don't have to go to the grocery store.
0: Well, look, I bought my mask from Route 1 Apparel from Ali Van Pers. And I, I, I got to tell you, Route 1 Apparel, it's, it's like the number one go-to <laughs> Maryland store. So,
7: oh, Okay, Larry. I,
0: I Yeah, I know, right? Lockdown minor over here.
7: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, uh, Charlie, another thing that I think is going to be very, very impactful, especially for these close races, is that this the city board of elections claimed for instance that i voted by mail so i had to do a provisional ballot and i don't think my vote's going to be counted and there's most of the people online are going to have to vote that way so for these races it'll be really close like district 10 district 4 uh district
2: 7 that
1: could have a substantial impact
2: uh no i agree i think that there are a number, uh, well, let's just, let's just put it out there. The Baltimore city board of elections, it has been a mess for Mm -hmm. years and, um, they really just need to bring new blood, um, and people maybe who understand what computers are. Um, but it's, you know, it's consistently, um, you know, consistently, uh, they've, they've just missed the mark and, you know, sending out the wrong ballots is one more, one more, uh, part of it. But, you know, really this whole, um, this election, the debacle falls on the state board of elections because very early on, I want to say March 13th or 14th, um, when it became clear that we were in the midst of a serious epidemic, um, a core group of folks reached out to the State Board of Elections to talk about vote by mail and talk about the election with a list of recommendations on how it should be handled and things to look for, and uh, it it has been a fight uh, every week fighting them and fighting the State Board, uh, and you know. Um, Working with folks from the attorney general's office to make sure that we could actually have in in, you know, in person vote polling places because we feared, you know, exactly what Richard is talking about people who didn't get their ballots, but whose ballots won't show up for another three weeks. Um, people, you know, them saying you voted already. I think it's just, it'll be a long time before this election get certified there's going to be numerous lawsuits mm-hmm. wow. um, in baltimore city i i think you know both from the advocate side and from the candidate side
0: does larry hogan have some blowback because of this will he take some of the blame
7: yes oh my god board of elections yeah he he appoints a board of elections he has to he's going to try to avoid responsibility but the the reality is is that all of the mechanisms exist for this to have gone really easy. Okay. What'd they do a hundred years ago, they took everything that was indoors and they put it outdoors. (laughs) That's it literally like here, instead of putting our, 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 instead of having our, our courtrooms inside of a building, let's have them outside instead of voting in a building, let's do it outside. Okay. The, so, um, in, in, in full disclosure, my, my partner is actually a, is a microbiologist that works with hazardous passi- pathogens, okay, parasites, viruses, bacteria, everything. When when this stuff's outside, it doesn't survive. It doesn't last. That's what the science says. That's what the CDC says. That's what US AMRID says. So all we had to do is every one of these polling places that are at a school with these giant parking lots and basketball courts and soccer fields and everything, all we had to do is move it outside and run an extension cord. But nobody was smart enough to think of it that can actually make that decision.
1: Yeah. I mean, you also have that the ballots marked as April 28th is when they were due by. So undoubtedly, yeah. there were many people who threw them in the trash or just didn't vote in them.
7: Yeah. Uh, like, like, oh, it happened to me the whole like when I was in Iraq, I got my ballot in like late January for the election. Okay. <laughs> Didn't even bother sending it in. I'm sure other people viewed it the same way. Mm-hmm.
2: Or people actually, you know, there have were a lot of people who got it and thought it was for the special. Yes, and, and Yeah. That, I yeah. mean, the big thing is, is that they were given um, an extra, I don't know, $7 million by the legislature before they left in order to run this special run the election uh, with a pandemic. And when asked about it, the State Board of Elections said they spent it on hand sanitizer. And and I'm like, that's a lot of freaking hand sanitizer um, for $7 million. Um, You you could
7: clean up the whole swamp with that. Right. I
2: mean, it's it's so, there's so much, and and the the fact that literally um, advocates were on a call with the State Board of Elections staff almost weekly from the middle of March up until and through um, the special election and they never bothered to say, oh, even with all the problems we had during the special election, we should probably tell you that the ballots for the primary are, the we've already printed the ballots for the primary and they say April 28th. Because had we been telling people from March, until june 2nd that the ballots were misprinted then people would have gotten the message that the ballots were misprinted it wouldn't have been like oh by the way after the news breaks and people harford county has their their ballots that's when they go oh yeah we should have told you that we we printed the ballots for the april 28th and they have the wrong date
1: yeah and and Charlie, that, that adds a very, very important dynamic for Baltimore. There's a lot of undeliverable mail, a lot. There was 20,000 in the special general, and then you factor in that, that Baltimore has the highest rental rate in the state. It's above 50 percent. A lot of people, they might vote in the city, but they don't live where they vote. So there's a lot of people who never got their ballots and never might have never even knew there was a fucking election.
7: Because nobody thought, hey, wait a second, it's tax season, so we got everybody's address. Let's go ahead and correlate it across so that everybody gets their stupid ballot. That's the problem with the Board of Elections. Mm. It's a public system. I've assessed it. I know that it exists. You send a little thingy from your computer, and it says, yes, that's a real address with a name. Done.
0: So I'm checking on other election results around the state and around the country, and it's so far a pretty – a pretty non-eventful <laughs> primary night, and two years ago, when I was at Wet City with Len Foxwell, we we were both pretty sloshed at this time. Well, at least Len was. I I had a couple in me, but I I was. I think I quit around ten o'clock because I I wanted to be safe. Um, Mia Mason is now in the lead in the first district. She has forty-two point six percent of the vote with Allison Galbraeus 39.2, could be a squeaker tonight, folks. This is with 15.6% of the vote in. and I
3: wouldn't, I wouldn't hold too much uh, to that until we get results from Cecil and Wocomico County. Those are going to be the real two that could either open this thing uh, up or continue to be close. But I am interested to see, I think my earlier prediction in the night— Saying a lot of people did not know Allison dropped out is looking pretty solid because what it's two points right now. So, yeah.
7: oh. well, so real quick, Ryan, um, sixth congressional district, uh, some early primary results are in, um, like 750 votes total, and Neil Parrott's at 633.
0: Yes, in Washington County,
7: mm-hmm.
0: let me just look in
1: over there.
7: Well, actually, it looks like Frederick's reporting a few votes too here, not many. Yeah.
1: And on District 6, uh, David Trone is only at 60. Uh, granted, only about 350 hmm. votes are in, but Maxwell Bureau's at 41 percent. It's interesting. just that starting trunk. So for David Trone's statewide ambitions, that's a horrific start.
7: I, I was briefly excited because when I looked at the 7th Congressional District, Ray Bly's name was at the top, but there's no
4: votes counted. Ray Bly is an American hero. Um uh, Ryan, do you mind? uh, I actually had Emily Keller watching my feed. Do you mind uh, checking on the uh, Hagerstown mayor's race again? Was that finalized? I
0: would. And if Emily Keller is available to call in.
7: Why is she on here?
0: I would love for Emily. And if we could share the the let me see if I can do this. Uh, I'd love to have Emily call in, but to give you an update on the city of Hagerstown race. And, folks, I encourage you when COVID 19 is over, please get up to Hagerstown and visit the wonderful downtown area where there's lots of fantastic restaurants. Uh, what's that? Broad Axe. Yeah, Broad Axe. Oh. We, sh- we should all get together and do a show there when, when these restrictions lift. That would be fun. Um, Emily Keller is leading with 52.3% of the vote. And Michael Barnes, who ran as an unapologetic Trump supporter inside of the city of Hagerstown, is at 32.8 percent. And newcomer Andy Overton is at 15 percent with 628 votes. And it looks like that if the lead maintains, Emily Keller will face off against Michael E. Barnes in the general election. And I would put money on Emily actually winning that race handily. So...
7: I don't don't know, man. It's it's Hagerstown. It's going to be entertaining, at least.
4: What I would say is Emily's actually got a record, though, of trying to solve a lot of the issues that have faced Hagerstown.
7: Um, Opioids
0: especially.
4: Opioid especially. And I think the city is looking for someone who can solve its problems and not throw out a lot of twitter quips and partisan barbs so i uh I'm don't really conf- hope emily keller pulls it off through the general as well
7: don't confuse my disagreement with not actually agreeing with you like i only voted for people that i knew personally as friends in this election um <laughs> i didn't vote for anybody else um but as far as like yes would she be a good mayor of hagerstown yeah But there's also the um, unaccounted for element of, like we're talking about, look in Cecil County, you have a a rabid Trump supporter that's going to be their next county executive.
3: Well, I think, I mean, I think we're narrowing down on one specific race in Cecil County. If we look across these local races across the Eastern Shore tonight, we're seeing Democrats like in Princess Anne, like in the Dorchester Board of Elections, uh, sweeping. Um, I actually think tonight's been a fantastic, from the results I'm getting back, uh, both from Puerto and from what I'm getting texted from uh, activists on the ground, tonight was a smashing success for Eastern Shore Democrats and Eastern Shore progressives. So yeah, the Cecil election didn't go away, but that's one race that I don't think could be classified as, oh, this is how everything else is going to go. I would actually say Democrats would have a boost in Hagerstown just because of what we're seeing in uh, these other rural districts or rural uh, municipalities, or smaller municipalities. So
7: I, I'm going to disagree on the aspect of even in my municipal races in Brunswick, I don't vote for people that I necessarily politically agree with because. Well, there's only so many anarchists in one town
0: um, <laughs> but
7: you know it, it is a it, it's a very common theme even when i was running the people voting for me that didn't agree with my politics i think that small town politics has a very different perspective than something that elevates up to a county level like a municipal race is about how do you pay how do you how do you upgrade your water lines and how do you pave your roads um it's not about these uh, uh divisive issues so people are more interested in someone that they can talk to that will listen to them and understand their concerns than they are about somebody that has the exact same agenda as them.
3: So, uh, well, you can't necessarily get that political element out of Municipal. Like, if you're running in a small town, trust me, they're going to know your political views right from the gate. And oh, that, I, I, I did. I know.
0: <laughs> so we have... Uh, there look, we go. Look who is here. Emily Keller, who is currently in the lead for the city of Hagerstown mayor and we're talking about one of the newest freshest faces in the state of Maryland Emily Keller is poised to, for a victory tonight Ms Keller who's going huh? to speak who's who soon will say to her detractors you can speak to the mayor <laughs> yes, Emily jokes. Emily yes, welcome
5: you we can speak to the mayor <laughs> How's it going Thank you so much for having
0: me. How's it going? I see that you're in the lead and you're probably monitoring the, are you monitoring the State Board of Elections or any other sites? Just
5: the State Board of Elections.
0: Well, you're doing well there. It looks like you're um, up by, what, 52% of the vote. Yes. Well, so how are you feeling?
5: Relieved. (laughs) (laughs) Relief. Relieved. I, I'm very excited, and uh, this is obviously the outcome that I was hoping for. I still have a lot of work to do into November, but I'm going to do it, and uh, I'm I'm excited.
0: Well, it looks like you're going to be facing off against Michael Barnes, and Mike's a newcomer to state or to to local politics. But tell us, Emily, what's happening in the city council race? It looks like it's a tight race between uh, five of them, at least. So it looks like from my my viewpoint here that Kristen Alshire is yes. it, he's and it's 10 right
5: yeah it's yes. 10. 10 make it through and then of course the top five in November
0: okay and so the top five it's Kristen and then it's Shelly um, and then I believe it's Bob and then I think we're moving down to Oh, actually it's Kristen Shelly and then penny penny is penny nye yes penny
5: nye i think bob Brici is in there and tiara brunette
0: Ciara brunette yeah and then peter a newcomer per- too. i think per- peter perini's in what six right now yeah and austin um brooke grossman looks like she's gonna make it Takeisha martinez uh matt schindler so and then brenda Thiam. So we're gonna have a race on our hands here tonight.
5: We are. It's very close on the council side.
0: Yeah. Uh, and not with the
5: exception by... of Kristen and Shelley.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're leading. They're out front of the pack. And of course, Christian, uh Kristen, he's a long time incoming. People know his name. He was on the Washington County Commissioner Board. So Emily, I'm sure you're feeling pretty good, but you ran because of a certain special reason and you made opioid addiction and fighting that a key part of your platform. And so I think that all major American cities are facing off with this. But in Hagerstown, especially, uh, you have taken the lead on that.
5: Well, thank you very much. It's it's an issue that's close to my heart. And right now, I think we are all so focused on COVID-19 that we forget there's another epidemic happening across our country. Overdose rates are up. Um, overdoses are up because of this epidemic. It's kind of fueling it. People feel very alone. They feel like there's a lack of resources available while everything is closed. So it's still an issue that is very important to me. And it's my number one issue for sure, because I think the majority of the issues our country faces stem from opioid addiction. So I'm going to keep plugging at it. And uh, Washington County is really leading the state in initiatives. And we're going to keep that path.
0: Well, you are going to look forward to, I'm sure, campaigning alongside Delegate Neil Parrott for Congress. (laughs) Uh,
5: um, Emily, what's your position on tattoos? Yeah. (laughs) Hey, I have a whole bunch. (laughs) But I will
0: say that David Trone has, uh, he has come out and enthusiastically endorsed Emily. And likewise, Emily, you are supporting Congressman David Trone for re-election, who really has been a key partner and fighting opioid addiction in Congress.
5: David did exactly what he said he was going to do while he campaigned. And I really don't think there's a lot of people that run for Congress that can say that. David campaigned and said, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and he absolutely has come out and done that. And I respect that. He stood by his word.
0: Emily Keller, who is leading in the Hagerstown City Mayoral Primary uh, with 52% of the vote. Uh, She is a current city councilwoman, and if things hold like this in November, she is poised to become Hagerstown's next mayor, and I think, has there ever been a female mayor of Hagerstown? No. Well, if, so this is a a cause to celebrate, and I want to mention that while Emily is a registered Democrat, Hagerstown is a nonpartisan race. So a nonpartisan race, Emily and I, and then, of course, Brooks' fiance, Chelsea.
4: Chelsea she, says uh, hi, by the way, Emily. She's in the next room.
5: Hi. I think you <laughs> I guys think graduated
0: well. together, right?
5: She's a year younger than me.
0: Okay. You you were what, 04? I'll
5: never admit that again.
0: Were you a class of 2004? <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Chelsea was 05? Mm-hmm. Oh, and I was 03. I'm old. Um, oh, man. Class of 03. Eric, you were class of 03, right?
7: Class of 04. Well, I graduated early, so class of 03.
0: When's your birthday?
7: January 13th,
5: 1986. Hey, mine's January 12th,
7: 1986. Oh, oh. Wait, you're a capricorn. You're a capricorn. Obviously, capricorn I'm going to vote. Obviously, I'm going to vote for you. That's all I need to know. Like, seriously.
0: and I'm November
7: 15th. No,
4: no. <laughs> I'm
0: November 15th, 1985. So you guys, I'm not too far ahead of you guys. Emily, yeah, Kelly did,
4: Richard, did can we celebrate not seeing the 80s remotely together, please? <laughs> oh, well, we could do a
0: karaoke here. Um, and Brooks was saying, The Broad acts, we all have to go to The Broad act sometime and celebrate yeah. when it reopens.
7: It. Yes. Yes. Let's do it.
0: Emily, thank you for coming on. I know you have to get back to closely studying the election results.
7: Can, can I make my jokes first for Emily being here? <laughs> yes. I got a lot of material that I've been thinking of. Uh oh. Oh, man. All right, so so um, my first question, Emily, is uh, um, how are you going to speak to the manager when you are the manager?
5: <laughs> you know, I, oh. I'm – at, at this at this point, I'm never going to cut my hair because it's become such a hot topic. I'm tired of looking at it, but I'm just going to keep it so we can keep the jokes going.
7: <laughs> you, you have to keep it. You have to keep it. Um, so, uh, question number two is: uh, um, So, has the have the firefighters decided which car you're going to win in the <laughs> raffle yet? Um, like, because your mayor, is it going to be better than last
5: time? Well, I'm on the porch of the house that they apparently bought
0: me, right? So, <laughs> Emily, I, I want to say this, and Eric can attest to this: that one of our top, one of our top categories ba- based on our analytics and Google search results is Jerry DeWolf. His name comes up more and more often, and all the fun things that we've written about Jerry DeWolf um, has been now enshrined in the annals of Google. And our website is a portal for Jerry Wo- Jerry DeWolf information. So if he makes it. To re-election tonight as the the chairman of the dem or the Republican Central Committee in Washington County, he can thank a minor detail.
5: That's right. You can. You have given him a lot of publicity.
0: Yes, we, hey, we don't, sh-
7: don't. Don't hate on my buddy Jerry. Come on now.
0: Oh uh, well, you have interesting <laughs> friends.
5: It's I, a shame look he where doesn't I'm at. me very much. <laughs> but I bet if he sat down and talked to me, I could change his mind. That's right.
0: Well, Ms. Keller, thank you, and congratulations on what looks to be a a very positive night for you, and uh, I appreciate all your hard work on behalf of a town that uh, I believe I'm a fifth-generation Hagerstonian, and the reins, you take the reins, Ms. Keller, and you do great things.
5: Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. I appreciate you.
0: You bet. Thanks, Emily. (laughs)
5: See
0: ya. Wow. So, Emily Keller could become the very first female of Hagerstown. I believe it's Maryland's sixth largest city. So, I'm uh, I'm proud. I'm proud tonight. That's uh that's some hometown pride right there. Richard, what are you hearing, my friend? Are you uh uh,
1: uh David Pontius, his Twitter ad is uh Baltimore Bulletin, I think.
0: Baltimore Bulletin.
1: Yeah, he's I mean, he's given some very basic projections. Oh, sorry. His his Twitter is just David Pontius. But mm-hmm. his projections are just that Eric Costello, Chris Burnett, and uh, John Doc Bullock have won their races, which I expected as well. Hmm. Uh, Costello's unopposed. Uh, Burnett's opponent was just somebody in the mayor's office, and Doc Bullock's opponents have almost no money combined between them.
0: Well, we're rounding 10:30, and I think that this it, it could be a good time to to begin to wrap it up. And I have a question. For the panelists tonight, do you expect any
4: surprises? Um, my expected surprise is actually in a board of elections race in Anne Arundel County. Um, it's not as contentious as the Montgomery and Howard County one, but it's no less. It's interesting. Uh, vice chair of the state Republican party, Corinne Frank is, uh, is one of the candidates and I actually believe she is not going to get through. Uh, I think it's going to be Bauman and Rogers.
0: So Corrine Frank, who of course is the executive director of the Maryland Republican Yo, executive Park.
4: director. That's right. I'm sorry.
0: Is she, so you're thinking that she does not make it through in this race.
4: I, I, I do not believe she will. I think, um, with something like school board education, people actually value that beyond just partisan credentials and she has,
0: None of that. Yeah. Eric,
4: you're a man of lots
0: of conviction and interesting opinions. Any surprises tonight? Will will you see anything unique in Frederick?
7: Um, so the one thing that I'm waiting to see is whether or not Lois Jarman makes it through the Board of Education race.
0: She's an um, excellent so- driver.
7: Yes. So basically, uh, she put somebody in the hospital for a very long time because she was texting while driving. Um, Clearly, the fact that it took like eight months for criminal charges to be filed show that there was definitely a little bit of a Politician privilege here. Um, she was just recently charged about two months ago in Washington County for that offense. Um, so I'm very interested to see where where uh, where she ends up on the uh, on the ballot. Basically, which is more important: the teachers union saying you should vote for somebody to give them pay raises, or um, their behavior like outside of their elected office. Um, I also, obviously, and um, I'm very interested to see um, how many votes uh, Judge Teresa Adams actually receives. Um, So um, let's just say that I've I've received many messages, emails about people who are not going to vote for her based on her uh, criminal sentencing record and a, uh, a pending corruption investigation that's been launched against her by the Commission on Judicial Disabilities. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, she's running unopposed. But of course, uh, even unopposed judges can be unelected in the general if they receive less than 50 percent of the vote.
0: Richard DeChay Elliott, who is the mathematical genius, the political guru uh, of the state of Maryland, whose election predictions are uh, you could take it to the horse track and likely win a lot of money. Richard Are you are we going to see any upsets tonight?
1: Um, One surprise, and it's something we haven't talked about, is Gladys Weatherspoon. She's running for judge in Prince George's County. Uh, There's seven candidates. There are five on a slate. I, I think that because Gladys has been really started amping up and letting people know that she was running, if a lot of people single shot her, she wins. Period. And with The huge surge in new voters, which could really change Maryland's political demographics forever, hypothetically, with all of these new voters, I think that that yields really well for Gladys, that yields really well for uh, Marilyn pierre in Montgomery County, that goes really well for a lot of these uh, progressive Board of Ed candidates, and in Baltimore City, it may be enough to drag Brandon Scott across the line. And my prediction... I said Brandon Scott was going to get third, but if these uh, new voters, these usually unengaged voters, break out in a strong majority for Brandon, that could be enough for him to win, especially because the in-person turnout today in Baltimore City, uh, according to uh, Alex Holt at Skating Tomato on Twitter, there were only 5,200 in-person voters.
0: I'm sorry, I want to jump in here real quick and break some news from outside of the state of maryland in iowa steve king is going down tonight
1: ha! yes yes.
0: steve king Thank you. who is a unavail or a- i would con- i would consider him the most racist member of the united states house of representatives who has no problems dabbling actually not but sticking his whole feet into the bucket ...of white nationalism is now losing to Randy Fenstra, and Randy Fenstra is up 43% over Steve King's 35.4%.
4: Yes.
7: And just, just looking at those totals, that's a spoiler race. That's what that is.
0: I think Republicans on the national level will be glad to get rid of him. He is persona non grata inside of the caucus. He has... I mean, he's the Marianne LaSanta of uh, of Iowa.
7: Well, he he can always go work at InfoWars.
4: The guy who said um, the guy who said what's when did white nationalism become a bad thing (sighs) is going to drag down a Republican Party that is increasingly trying to make sure that people don't associate it with the people who marched through Charlottesville. And they can't do that with Steve King on that.
0: I just think that that is a, for our country, what we have been through in the last few weeks and unimaginable pain that I I can see it, I can watch it, I can feel it, but I will not be able to truly understand it. This is a moment to celebrate. Losing, not not just losing, but him being soundly defeated in a state that is very conservative but there is no place in america for steve kings in any political office and i hope that whenever he's if he assuming that this lead holds and it's it's pretty staggering this lead so far that this will be a repudiation of some really vile politics in america so
1: I have I have one more update uh, it comes from Drew Leisner on on Twitter and I have no way to uh, authenticate it but he says that Michaela Wilkes won the in-person balance in College Park by a damn near three to one margin over Steny Wow 25 to 127 oh, geez. I, I am trying to tell you all the number of calls they Steny has never never had to run a serious campaign because he's always had the sample balance so Michaela running, a truly, truly impressive, unprecedented grassroots, like socialist—not even just progressive, but socialist—campaign. She might beat Steny Hoyer tonight in the biggest political upset in in God knows how long.
0: Well, Eric, you asked earlier about Frederick County. It looks like Lois Jarm is going to hang on to her seat.
7: Yep, looks like she—it looks like she's going to be making it through the uh, the the primary at least. Yeah. Um, We'll see what the out the disposition of that case is, um, because I'll tell you, look, I saw the pictures of that car wreck. And that was not a minor. This was not a fender bender with a with an ambulance chasing lawyer. This was the dude was in the ICU for like five or six days.
0: Was she um, criminally charged?
7: Yes, she's been criminally charged.
0: I mean, was she what what was the nature and uh, the charges? Um,
7: I th- it was like um, negligent driving contributing to a, a serious accident contribute uh, contributing to a serious bodily injury, you know, like, like there's like 500 traffic codes in Maryland statute. It's ridiculous. But uh, she pretty much got the book thrown at her. Um, the only thing they didn't charge her with was attempted murder, basically.
0: Now that would be, that would be something. And back to your point, Richard, at if not knowing what's going to happen in this fifth congressional district race. But if there is an upset tonight, if it's even within two or three percentage points, that would be just startling.
1: Yeah. And even if she does lose the impact, this will have on redistricting can change Maryland's politics a lot. If Steny cuts out black Prince George's, and he adds more of Anne Arundel, and then you give most of Baltimore City to Kwesi Fumé, that's going to mean automatically the Districts 4 and District 2, uh, both of which may be open in 2022 anyway, they are going to be wide-open races that are going to change dramatically in, in the, their, uh, d- their geographics and their demographics. Yeah.
0: Charlotte, do you see any upsets tonight? Do you predict any unusual outcomes and perhaps when are we supposed, when, when do you think we will get the majority of these cities and county election results?
2: Well, they, um, the board of elections has already said that they are going to let, um, anything that they get today cure. They'll count, uh, ballots received tonight. Um, and I think at 1030 was when the last people were voting. Um, they should, um, by now, and at least in Baltimore City, um, everyone should have voted by now. Um, It'll probably be, um, yeah, it'll be another few days. We'll have um, whatever was received before by mail, and by ballot box before today will be counted today. So anything that was received yesterday will be counted today, anything received today Um, won't be counted for another couple of days. Um, So I would say maybe by Friday. Wow. um, We might have some...
0: Some definitive... There
2: there might be projections before then. As as far as upsets, I think whoever wins the Baltimore Mayor's race um, is going to be an upset. Um, I think there are three... Whoever wins, nobody really knows who's... You know it's just that tide of race so i think you'll you can claim it an up an upset no matter who wins well,
0: i think that's a in a very astute point Jarrett. what do you see for tonight do you predict any upsets occurring any unusual outcomes um
3: i agree with richard and the fact that i think Michaela will do very well i had a chance to vote and it's not as much as i'd like because i had uh, work here in district one with other races but i did get a chance to volunteer for her campaign tax banking towards the end and I the people I talked to I sent about ten thousand text messages and the responses I got were universally positive. So I think she has a long career in politics and I hope she wins tonight and if she's not I hope she at least hears this message and I don't I hope she doesn't quit. I know there's going to be a generational and demographic change. Uh, not just in Maryland, but across American politics in 2022, 2020, 20, 2024. Uh, so I hope she stays around. Her voice is definitely needed and uh, it's appreciated here on the shore if that means anything. Um, I think another upset that might happen and uh, I don't know if I'm willing to call it without the results from Wacomico or Cecil yet, but uh, if Mia Mason is able to hold on and straight up beat Allison and win the nomination without it going to central committees, uh, I would say that would be a huge upset and uh, hats off to her campaign. I know they've been working extremely hard for months and months calling people. Um, And then finally, I do want to rally back and uh, once again tip my hat to the folks down in Somerset County. Uh, I know Justin Butler, the. Eastern Shore organizer did a great job getting the resources out. And I know there's a lot of hardworking people down in Princess Anne that uh, helped two Democrats uh, win both seats tonight. So shout out to Somerset County for a, a not necessarily an upset, but a surprising victory in the sense of just how well they perform. So good night all around for uh, Shore Democrats and progressives.
6: Well,
0: I think that you guys, we managed to do this panel uh We've come a long way. Eric can attest to that, who's been following this show, for, for, and he's been part of this thing for, for years now, and uh, I, I just want to say how much I appreciate you all coming on tonight and being part of this and spending your time and your using your very big brains, as the president says, um, <laughs> to...
7: Ryan, I'm a little disappointed in myself because nobody yelled at me.
0: Well, you know, we're a nice bunch here. So we're good. I, very-
7: I just want to, I, I was really hoping like me and Richard were going to go to fisticuffs over like, you know, communism and shit. But uh, <laughs> um, we'll save that for later, I guess.
0: Oh, no, Richard's a great yeah, guy.
7: Got 50 years to get it in. <laughs> That's how long you wait for food. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> oh well each Sorry, I had to get I had to get it out, you know me.
0: <laughs> well, we had a diverse panel. We had fun tonight. I really appreciate you all sharing your wisdom and knowledge about Maryland politics. I think it was fun. It was informative and right now, uh, I, I'm trying to find some clarity in this uh, our system and uh, you folks give me some renewed hope that, Everything will be fine if we get good people into office. So I appreciate again, thank you for spending the evening with the podcast, and I do hope you all come back.
1: Absolutely. When yeah. when the results are all in, we can do a recap. We, that could be in ten days, but
0: yes, if we can rejoin, I'll we'll we'll get together again in a week or so and uh, look at the results and break them down and look at the math and find out any trends and. Will be nerdy, um, and figure out how to uh, ha- how to analyze this moving forward. I think that's a great idea. So, I'm going to go back and begin to furiously refresh the Maryland State Board of Elections w- page, and I'm going to go on to the Twitter's world and try to figure out of any incoming results. But um, to all of you, thank you so much for spending your time tonight, and uh, I hope you have a successful rest of the week and keep me informed about what's happening in your respective regions of the state
3: got it all right Ryan, a good a good national uh election just on the close closing note to keep an eye on uh, in terms of upsets is car eastman out in nebraska's second district a strong progressive currently winning against the republican incumbent and she's getting dcc help so I, I won't keep you all ranting on that but i definitely recommend people keeping track of nebraska's second congressional district race moving forward
0: well if i could find nebraska on a map right now um i could <laughs> i might be able to have some more insight because i've never been to the state of nebraska and i don't know when i will go but uh i think nebraska has what two congressional districts
7: uh three i believe okay okay it's... there's more people on your panel than live in nebraska so you're
0: fine <laughs> we had a third of the state here so <laughs> well you folks have a wonderful night and uh, i'm going to keep an eye on these election results so again thanks so much and uh, we'll catch you here soon Hey, it's Ryan. Send me your feedback on the show. Email me at ryan at com, or you can text me at 301 991 I'll read your comments during our next podcast. Visit In Like A Minor Detail on Facebook and Twitter, at detail, and that's with an E, not an O. And of course, visit aminordetail.com for the latest Maryland news and politics. That's it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you around.